Demons Discuss, Take 53, the one with the black boots and red hose. Welcome to Demons Discuss and the unofficial podcast about the All Souls universe and the topics that orbit it. We are your hosts, Angela, Jean, and Valerie. I'm Valerie. And with me is Angela and Jean. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hello. And what are we talking about today, Jean? Well, we just finished up at the court of Queen Elizabeth and Matthew and Diana got their marching orders. They are off to Prague. But But. we have a little interlude coming up, too, because we get to check in with present day De Claremont business. So we're going to get a visit with a new character, an appearance by present-day Galloglass before we go gallivanting off to Prague. Wow, that sounds intriguing. We've been waiting for this, actually. Yes, yes. I am very excited because I like this character we're introduced to in this present-day interlude. She's one of your spirit animals, I believe. Yeah, boob knife. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So this <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by listeners just like you. Uh, we find ourselves very fortunate to have patrons because without you, you'd be listening to me slogging through an ad read or something. I'd, oh, blue apron, no thanks. I'd probably be telling you that a particular type of bra wasn't pinching me in a peculiar spot <laughs> because it's awesome. But guys, my undies are not your business, so I'd read it like I have a chip on my shoulder and the company would pull their sponsorship and it'd be a disaster. So no good can come of this. No. Angela, persuade our non-patron listeners. Why should they bother? What's in it for them? Well, at the lowest tier, two small dollars. It's like a half a cup of coffee. Not even a whole cup of coffee. Um, right. You can get our after show. Not even good coffee. Not even good coffee. Yeah. Right. You can get our... It's like a... <laughs> it's like a Starbucks We're talk- grande, yeah? <laughs> We're talking kids' soccer practice coffee. <laughs> Our community center uh, burning on burning on the warmer coffee. Yes, yes. Uh, but it's still good. Yes. It's still good. But you can get our after show, which is produced and published on our off week. So when you don't get the public show, you can the next week you'll get our after show. And the you can run the gamut of topics. It's a very loosey-goosey, have, have fun uh, type of show. And you never know what yeah. you're going to get. But for your $2, you will get something. Yeah. <laughs> gamut is being very kind some weeks. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. And for higher levels, you can start to collect swag. So you can get a pouch, for instance, or a tote bag. Yay! Yeah. I'm so excited about the new pouches we've added. Yes. For that one tier that was lacking, you know, we were like, hmm, maybe we should add that one up a little bit. And we did. And that's turning out to be a very popular tier. It is. So, it is. Yeah. And it's the only tier that offers that lovely pouch. Yep. So you might want to check that out, too. Anything else, Angel? Anything else our patrons can look forward to? Potential patron. Uh, Demon roulette. Or as like we like to say in our own vernacular, Demon roulette, which is a quarterly <laughs> drawing. Random winner wins a prize of our choosing. Every Everybody's eligible, guys. Yay. So maybe we've talked you into becoming a patron. If so, then yay. Check it out. Go to patreon.com slant demons discuss. Okay, so let's move along to discuss your emails. We have quite a few. So who's first? I'll start. I have one okay. from Chi. Hi, Chi. Hi, Chi. She says, Hi, Chi. She says, demons discuss. Just a few thoughts about Baron. Have you ever seen a movie called The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? The American version directed by David Fincher. 
Rooney Mara plays the main character, Elizabeth Salander. This is who I pictured as Varen while reading the books. Deb has written so many great characters who we'd love to know more about, and Varen is one of them. She's quiet, fierce, and mysterious. She may not like Diana or Matthew, but she is loyal to the de Claremont's family. Nonetheless, I hope we could hear her story someday. Thanks, Chi. Thank you, Chi. Thank you. And yes, I have seen both versions of that movie. And the American version, I was very upset that they changed the ending. <laughs> wow. <Yeah. laughs> well, you may end up finding that happening with Game of Thrones. George Martin has been saying Ooh. lately. Oh, okay. <laughs> the okay. books may have a different ending when he finally gets to it. The divergence. You know, and he's not getting younger, so I'm worried there. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm hearing uh, you and that whole fandom is hearing Yikes. yeah yeah but for that movie the swedish version was fantastic it was gritty it was perfect and then all of a sudden I'm like oh well i'll watch the hollywood version just because and it was different right. I'm like this ends differently you can't do that not even from the book to the movie oh, it was different. that's how i felt about vanilla sky i love the spanish version i hated the american version with tom cruise in it there, there's your explanation yeah. on what you just said too but <laughs> yeah well gene you have something Yes, I have something from a brand new discusser, Sandy S. Hi, Sandy. Hello, Demons. Welcome. Never done this before. Hope it's according to the um, Demon Protocol. Protocol, what? I <laughs> self-identify as a demon and always fail at the protocols of any kind. Okay, well, welcome. You're in the right place. Yes. Because protocol, schmodocol. Yeah. So, Farron, what were your impressions of Varen? You'll find out in a few minutes. Yeah. Not sure anyone has noticed this, but I think Varen's identity presentation is meant to be kind of a pun as she is both kinds of goth. Well, two kinds of goth. She has no gothic architecturally related features, for instance. But when she dresses gothically as the 20th, 21st century constructs of that, oh, God, I'm a construct now? Mm. I thought I was just old. <laughs> that kind of thing. A derivative of a 19th century gothic novel, that were gory aesthetic and all that, all black, spiky, dangerous, though diminutive. And two, we can guess that her native language is gothic. Third to 10th century Eastern Germanic dialect, the language of Wolfilla's Bible in which the Lord's Prayer begins, Atta Usar. Hmm. Unsar, I'm sorry. I, I need my readers. <laughs> Namely, Father Ars, Paternoster. The real name of Attila the Hun is unknown. Attila, Daddy, is the nickname he was given by the Gothic mercenaries. Same word with a diminutive. Huh, and Varen calls Philippe Atta. Wow. I don't know how, how to fit in the Girl Scout thing, though, because multiple knives. I, want, I was a Girl Scout. I had one knife. It was a cool one, though. <laughs> I'd like to know the backstory of how Ernst and Varen met. Party on Demons, Sandy S, Austin, Texas. Yay! Thank you, Thank you Sandy. Yeah, I didn't know about yeah, that. Yeah, you're Ada. You weren't paying attention during the Book of Life read-along. No, I wasn't. I was tuned out, seriously. <laughs> yeah, I know. She was smoking well, cigarettes was behind the bleachers. <laughs> oh, yeah, because it was Book of Life. This is it true. was Book of Life. I was not feeling really good at the yeah, time. I know. <laughs> the one thing I do remember is Deb also talked about how her Varen was informed a bit by Abby and the original NCIS. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. The plat- I remember that. platforms and pigtails and yeah. I love the way she dresses. Yeah. Mini skirts. Mm-hmm. Oh. So, yeah. That's really cool. And my car is named Viren, just as an aside. Yeah, as an aside. And you have a Z4, right? Yes, ma'am. She is 
a sleek machine. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a dirty machine right now. <laughs> <laughs> the audience didn't need to know that. They could just imagine well, a sleek machine. We've got, we've had so much rain run rolling through the last couple of weeks. It's like, okay, I'm going to go get my, no, no I'm not I can't go get my car today yeah. because it's going to rain tomorrow. <gasps> okay. Are we going to have like four days? It's like, cause I just can't spend the money to wash my car if it's not even going to stay just clean gonna for 24 rain. hours. I know. It's been like that here. I mean, the perils of a black car, right? Morticia has not yes. been washed either. It's just like looking just in the spring. She just looks janky until the summer. Oh, I saw I saw Morticia's cousin here on the road. And I'm like, oh, my Valerie. <laughs> <laughs> Was she speeding like a demon out yes, of control? So I said, oh, my Valerie. <laughs> Okay, so uh, my Discusser email, and we haven't heard from this person yet either. So welcome to Discusserdom, Melissa P. Welcome. She says, hello, demons. Um, Then she gives a disclaimer. No need to share this full email on the site show notes. If you have anything worthy of sharing, any questions. Uh, You know, Melissa, don't worry about it. I'm just going to go through it. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is my first time emailing you, but I've listened to many of your joy filled episodes since I've devoured the trilogy in just a few weeks last fall. I didn't even know a TV show was in the works till I was nearly done with the Book of Life. Thank you for all you do. I cannot imagine how you and the other longtime fans waited for years for all the books to come out and then for the TV show to arrive. What patience. What agony. Oh, <laughs> Melissa. You don't, you don't know the half of it. Yeah. You don't know it. Oh, God. God. <laughs> I'm going to keep my comments focused on both Theron and Galaglass in Chapter 26. Mostly, I just have a lot of questions. Chapter 26 was heart-wrenching for me as a reread. It was for me too, Melissa, but, you know, I'm going to keep reading. Uh, Knowing what we know, what we later learn about Galaglass, I realize his unrequited love for uh, Diana is irritating for some in the fandom. I'd be one of those people, (laughs) yes. Yeah. (laughs) But I adore this character, and I feel such empathy for him. I'm also also one of those people. Um, picturing him all alone in the wind on the Australian coast, those runes in hand just brought the tears. Centuries of keeping this secret. Poor, sweet, sad Galaglass. Okay, I will go into that after I'm done with your email. So here we go. Did you suspect when you first read this chapter that he was in love with Diana? Did you guys suspect? Negative. No, me no. neither. Okay, I don't think I did, but I felt heartbroken by this scene nonetheless, even on the initial read. I did too. Yep. Mm-hmm. As for Varen, I found her kind of cold the first time. But on this reread, I was very much more intrigued about her story. What made her save Ernst as a boy? When did she fall in love with him? What was their story of becoming mates? How did Galglass fall so deeply out of touch with her that he didn't even know that she had mated and married? Do you think it's just normal for all the de Claremonts to be out of touch for 70 years at a time? Most of all, I wondered about both Varen and Galglass's relationship with Philippe. Do you think Philippe ever told anyone besides Varen and Galglass about Diana's fated appearance in Matthew's future? How incredible that Philippe never revealed it to Isabeau for all those years. Did he ever talk to Alan about it? Do you think Philippe knew Galglass's feelings for Diana? I wonder so much about the conversation at Septor, the night when, in parentheses, uh, Varen and Galglass had sat by Philippe's bed and 
and listen to his ramblings. Also, was that the first time Galaglass returned to France? So many questions. Perhaps you know some of the answers. P.S. I love that Varen is aghast that Marcus is leading the Brotherhood. P.P.S. A tangled tale <laughs> of blood and desire that looped and swirled through the centuries. Yes, like a weaver's cord. P.P.P.S. <laughs> Regarding last episode, Saber for the Show, female heroes are what's going to save us, not just in the fictional world. And it's about damn time. Rock on, Melissa. Rock on. You said it. Okay, so to some of your questions, um, reference Galaglass. I don't hate Galaglass. I've always loved Galaglass. I just think he made that misstep by telling Diana. So in reading this, knowing his feelings this time, me rereading it, it was like, oh, oh it kind of hit me hard. Mm-hmm. But I didn't dwell on it. Like, uh, yeah. it's, it's just, hey, dude, this, this is the kind of shit you're going to have to deal with. You this is just it. Yeah, kind of talked yourself into this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, reference Varen and Galaglass's relationship with Philippe, and did he tell anybody else? I think he to- might have told Alon. He had to have because he had. He, had he the, did he had, tell Alon. He had the goods for Diana in the beginning yes. of the Book of no, Life. Well, no, Alon was there. I know, but yeah, that's true. Yeah, but I, did, I think Alon. he discussed it more in detail. He gave Alon instructions yeah. definitely because Alon was taking care of her dowry mm-hmm. all along when Galaglass. Galaglass knew because Galaglass was there too. So he was the one yeah. shuttling all of the instructions. I think Varen's the only one he told that had not physically met her. Well, he gave both Varen instructions and Galaglass instructions. Varen yeah. had her own particular set of instructions that we find out later in the Book of Life, and Galaglass had his own marching orders. So it's a, I it's think- a complete different circumstances, though. I, well, I, we know Elan and Galaglass got lucid, detailed instructions, and Varen yes. kind of got the Vague. Vague, yeah, rambling. <laughs> I need you to do this with no context. It's almost like, yeah, like Alan- it came across like a demon vision. Not not that I'm just saying that, you know, yeah. we were talking in one of our last episodes that Agatha received, you know, rambling messages and she didn't know how to communicate yeah. them. That's kind of how his ramblings was at, at the end. Yeah, yeah. But even if he was, some of the later instructions were rambling with Galaglass and Alan. Mm-hmm. They had enough context mm-hmm. to understand what he was getting at, whereas she just had these instructions with you need to call him when this happens. Well, and, mm-hmm. Which is why Varen and yeah. uh, Galaglass were the perfect pair because Galaglass could corroborate what went on and he could mm-hmm. also yeah. be the interpreter for the ramblings. And Varen was the right yeah. declarant to choose because she had the pull and the say and could right. could uh, and talk, was... oh, talk Baldwin off the ledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. So here's another one. Do you think Philippe knew Galaglass's feelings for Diana? I say yes. I, of course yes, he did. Absolutely. I think not a lot passes Philippe as far as yeah. if he had any conversations with Galaglass reference checking up on Diana or whatever. You can always mm-hmm. tell when somebody you're close to has a crush or something's going on. It's like, oh, oh yeah. I think he knew and I think it was twofold. I think one, Philippe is ruthless like you had to be to survive for as long as he did. But two, he mm-hmm. used it to his advantage and exploited it. Yeah, yeah. Just like he exploited Matthew's blood rage. Yeah. I mean, who else better to watch her than someone who felt so yeah. deeply for her? Mm-hmm. He's going to make sure nothing happens I mean, to and her. it made sense to have that linear line too. Yes, yes. And all of the old stories that he and Isabeau loved so much were about chaste love. True. And Galloglass was the main character in all of them. Well, I should say the kind of feelings Galloglass was experiencing yeah. was like the main focus of those. That's true. That's true. Okay, so uh, we got a lot of discussory emails. Jean, what's your next one there? My next one is from Chloe. Hi, Chloe. Hello. Hey, Chloe. Dear Demons, 
Another de Claremont? Varen is complicated for me. I admire her strength and her will, wit, but I don't like the relationship she has with Matthew. I know that comes out more in BOL. To find out there's another de Claremont, I know how Diana felt. Hmm. The journey to Prague was exciting for me. We were finally get, going to get Ashmole 782, and then we would be back in the present time. Well, my hope was cut short. <laughs> On the subject of Gallo Glass and Sun, I liked him, but the next book has spoiled him for me. I find it difficult to like him, and you're not alone. Oh. I love Matthew as a prince. It's what I want for my vampire power and wealth, commanding power wherever they go. Loving the show and hope you're not tired of my ramblings. You're vampire down under, Chloe. Thank you, Chloe. Never, never tired. Keep writing. Keep writing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I like Yellow Glass. I, like Yellow I just West. don't like what he did. Yeah, I know. He he just had a he poor judgment there. Poor judgment. He's your fun bar friend who gets all mopey and it just gets frustrating. It's like your dude friend, right? You, you yeah. loved him for yeah. years and then he turned around and he says it, he he loves you and he just ruins the whole thing. Fuck you, man. <laughs> Dude, now you made it, like, it weird. <laughs> yeah, you had to go and make it weird. Yeah, yeah. It's just like that. But I oh, have to point out that... Still love you, but you made it weird. Yeah. Deb think that's quite selfish. That's how I interpret it, that we think that way. Well, I don't think that way because I'm like, whatever. <laughs> I yeah. don't care. Yeah. Because she said he yeah. had to unload what he had to unload. It was his his tale to tell and it was t- his time to tell it. So I understand it. I understand yeah. it. Yeah, I, I, I get that, but why didn't he? Un- he should have unloaded. Well, he felt she needed it was to so- know. I think he was selfish. Uh, and yeah, he had to unload it. Yeah. Why didn't he un- offload it somewhere else and not uh, not in her lap? I know. That's like, the type of like, thing where you need a confessional. Yeah, I, I think. And part of the problem is, is women who've had to deal with that. And it's like, you've got like this big sloppy mess sitting in your lap. And it's like, what do I do with this? Yeah, what am I supposed to do with this now? Thanks. I'm glad you feel better. But like now it's mine to manage. No, thank you. Well, I think that's where some of my resentment is. My resentment is, is because automatically I hate people pitying me. Now Diana has pity for Galgloss. Yeah. I hate that. And I come from the (laughs) non-emotional. Yeah. I'm like, thank you. Next. Thank you. Next. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Ariana. (laughs) Thank you for, can we move on? And now thank you for your history lesson. (laughs) (laughs) That's lovely. We're going to not talk now. Bye. <laughs> okay, thanks. Bye. Oh, God. Okay. See you in about 50 years. <laughs> Who's next? Angela, is it, is it you? Yes. And that's what I said. The, la- the last emails we had, like, I found Varen Cold. I'm like, really? I liked her. <laughs> I know. I thought she was kind of charming in the fact that she looked like her husband's granddaughter. Yeah. I thought that was pretty humorous. I yeah. Okay. I have an email from Caroline. Caroline, I love your name. I wanted to name Harlow that, but it wasn't to be. Anyways. Okay. Uh, <laughs> hi, demons. I think the trip to Chbox is a representation of Diana and Matthew. Various symbols uh, thought to me. The tree is Diana. Anna, the owl, I'd like, I'd think either represents either Philippe or Isabeau. The dozen eyes under the tree are the declaremonts watching over them, especially Diana. The ears growing from the branches, I think maybe the goddess listening for when she needs help. The fallen angels, I think is quite tricky. Possibly the demons or witches. I also think yeah. the branches giving birth to the people and animals might be the twins. One question I have is Bosch a demon or a witch? Finally, Rudolph seems to understand the customs of vampires with regards to consummation and marriage. Caroline. Hmm. Nice. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. Very interesting. I, I, yeah. I don't know. Theories, anybody? <laughs> I, hey, I think sounds good. Demon. Yeah. I think demon, yeah. definitely. I think Bosch might have been a demon. Oh, yeah, definitely a demon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't off put by Matthew being a vampire. He's just like, oh, you are a vampire. All right, cool. I'm going to draw that now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> okay, so this is the last discusser email we have to go through, and this is a new discusser as well. I love seeing these new names, guys. Keep bringing it in. Don't be shy. You get an email, write us in. Her name is hyphenated, so I'm going to go Indigo Serini. So I hope I'm not mispronouncing that Indigo. Um, hey, demons. I hope this is how you do this. <laughs> this is my first time sharing on Demons Discuss, and she's got a smiley face there. Aww. Indigo, yes, yes, this is how you did it. You did it exactly right. <laughs> so in regards to both chapter 26 and 27, the things I picked up most on were the reactions of and the relationship between the actual de Clermonts. Now, this may just be me within this little thought bubble, but I think the true person that Gail Glass is protecting is not Diana, but Matthew. Hmm. Okay, let's dig a little bit deeper. I'm aware of the feeling of which he holds for her, but I believe that the relationship between Gal Glass and Matthew may go deeper, not in a romantic way, but in a spiritual one. At the beginning of his life as a reborn vampire, Matthew had Hugh to help him along the way, ground him, protect him, give him knowledge of and a home, a place to run away to. Now that Hugh has unfortunately passed, I feel those maybe subconscious ties have passed on to Gal Glass. I would suspect that both Matthew and Gal Glass have been together for a very long time, and the natural stance seems to be, and in parentheses, she said, even maybe without them knowing it, although saying that they are de Clermont's. Okay. Matthew's own protective shadow in the outside world throughout history seems to be Galaglass. Even when protecting Diana growing up in the present, she's an extension of Matthew. So almost like a guiding spirit, he puts all the pieces together for him. I believe Galaglass was always more in the shadows than Matthew was, and I think it hurts Galaglass more than we know. Whoa, that's some deep thoughts there. Yeah. I'm going to have to ponder that. Okay. Um, and she says in regards to the man himself in chapter 27, I think one of the most honest sides we may ever see of Matthew is his side as a father, particularly in this instance with young Jack. Now, this scene is about half a page out of a long chapter with other major scenes. But for me, it was the one most poignant. I know that to others, Matthew may not be the best person or father they have come across. But to me, when he is seen dealing with Jack and his nightmares, I don't think you could have pictured a more true or honest sense or side of him. All Matthew wanted to do was be a father and a husband. I think knowing that makes a true foundation for and of him than anything else you may lay on him. All other attributes are telling of the life which he has led and contributed to. All while, yes, they were huge factors in many layers and branches of who he is. I don't think you could ever really destroy the underlying father part of him because to me, it seems the most stable, secure, honest part of who he is. He is a man who loves his family. And that half a page to me was probably one of the best you'll ever see of him. I'm so sorry this was so long, Demons. I love your show and I look forward to your panel. If you have one, hey, hey, we're going to have two. Yay. Yep. At All Souls Con. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from the UK and this will be my first time attending All Souls Con. I'm excited. Okay. Indigo, Sereni, come see us. Okay. Make sure yeah. you come and see us. Don't be shy. Don't be like, oh no. No, come and see us. Okay. We won't bite you. We have things for we'll you. We'll be around. We'll be Thursday, around. Friday and Saturday. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Okay. I, I think I, that's it. I agree with her, though, on Matthew. It, in his purest form, that's uh, his, his natural state. He yeah. He doesn't have to yeah. overthink anything. It just, that's one of his uh, more human carryover instincts. I think so, too. I, I think the whole deal with Marcus was transactional mm-hmm. and he was in the middle of something and he didn't want to get too bogged down yeah. in it. I'm not saying vampire. 
vampire dad, he's the same way, but with the yeah. smaller rearing of children that are, yeah, he can in their formative years. You know, I know we bust on Matthew for being good. He's a bad father. He just put Marcus on a boat. But I think <laughs> <laughs> we didn't see this the more intimate times with Marcus, or you know, he's very proud of Marcus. He he loves Marcus, and that's who he is. But I don't think he lets himself get too bogged down in it if he's got other shit to take care right. of. So, okay. Anything else? Did we miss any discussion emails? I think that was nope. it, huh? Got it. That was it for now. All right. Let's start the wagon. This chapter discussion is brought to you by Susie Glenn. Thank you, Susie. Thank, Thank you, Susie. Susie. All right. Let's see. <laughs> have a vi- Sorry, you guys didn't make it to the finals. <laughs> I just have a vision of uh, us in a van in Salem. And Gene and I are in the back and Susie's in front of us. <laughs> Oh, God. Yes. Oh, God. That was ages ago. That was so much fun. She had to endure our bad attitude, our eye rolling, our snickering, (laughs) and nothing in particular. We were just in that mood sometimes. And and, and it was never at Susie. She she was just... We were the brat kids in the back, and she was like the the assistant troop leader. Girls, you really need to stop this. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, it was. I don't do well with very structured and planned trips. I don't. I'm just kind of a hey, let's do this. Okay, <laughs> you know, I'm that well, type yeah. of person. That's what we've done every single time now, isn't it? Yeah, but I think this is our first outing, and the person who was hosting it was so worried about you know making sure we had a full agenda ahead of us. So we felt like school kids in the back of a van, like oh my oh, god, yeah. you know. Um, it's this is a uh, Salem in 2013. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Way oh back gosh, then, yeah, it was a long time ago. And and, so. and serious props to the fellow demon that did organize it. But we were just, oh, yeah. <laughs> something's got to yes. give with demons sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> we were bratty. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's just not even it. It uh, was it was an amazing amazing trip. We had a lot of fun. Yeah. We did, we did, we well, did. And it also helped. We had our own demon tour guide who knew more than the tour guide we hired. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <gasps> Oh, that was just beautiful. Okay, Anyways, we digress. (laughs) We do. We left off in uh, chapter 25 with Matthew and Diana by order and reluctant allowance, respectively, by Queen Elizabeth I to head to the Empire of Prague. We open up chapter 26 a bit disjointed because we are in present day with a new declarement that we've never met. In Berlin. That we've never met before. So, okay, first thoughts. Get them out of the way. Let's do this. Well, once again, we had an anomaly chapter, and I think I was... The, on the first read, I was used to the anomaly chapters now, so I wasn't so put off by it. But on, yeah, yeah. on this read or listen, I'm like, these chapters are brilliant. That's true. I mean, they're so jam-packed and the way they're structured is so clever. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've always got like an object and uh, the documentation that goes with the object in one way or another. Yeah. Yes. And then it sets up the next puzzle piece. It's kind of like every anomaly chapter is another thing that's going on the whiteboard. Correct. I agree. Or on the white table and stuff gets moved around a little bit and we get new, cha- we get new characters. I mean, we've gotten Phoebe. Now we've got Varen, Varen and Ernst. The family keeps growing. The last anomaly or the Phoebe and Marcus anomaly chapter was important for their meeting. This one is mm-hmm. just so mm-hmm. rich in information. Yeah. Yes. So let's talk about the anomaly that popped up. It was a newspaper article that Varen wound up reading. It was in the Independent, okay, and it was dated the 1st of February, 2010. It was talking about a Surrey woman discovering a manuscript belonging to Mary Sidney. 
at the time was said famed Elizabethan poetress and sister to Sir Philip Sidney. So according to this article, the manuscript experts believe represented a work of alchemical notebook kept by the Countess of Pembroke during the winter of 1590 slant 91. The Countess's scientific papers were thought to have been destroyed in a fire at Wilton House in the 17th century. It is not clear how the item came to be in the possession of the Barber family. <laughs> it never is. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and it goes on to say, quote somebody, says, we remember Mary Sidney primarily as a poet, commented a representative of Sotheby's Auction House, who will put the item up for bid in May. But in her own time, she was known as a great practitioner of alchemy. Yeah. Hey, yes, look at that. Sotheby is going to have another object that is going to end up not being auctioned off. Right. Someone's going to buy that. <laughs> so these, item, these I items, who that's going to be. these items could have easily been destroyed. But instead, you think that Philippe said, don't destroy them. Miguel Glasgow, hide them. They'll surface eventually. And that will be the signals to my people to know to set the plans in motion. Yes. There you I go. I think that's mm-hmm. exactly what happened. And they're all in odd places. And it also signals them to go buy the shit real quick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, it's going to be an auction. Okay, I guess I got to buy that too. Shit. <laughs> well, here's, here's my question. What would they have done if it was shown up at Christie's? Oh, fuck. <laughs> that would have thrown a monkey wrench in things. I'm sure they have. Yeah. You know what? I'm sure they have an account at Christie's too. Yes. Yeah. The manuscript is of particular interest as it shows the countess was assisted in her laboratory in one experiment labeled the making of the Arbor Diani. She identifies her assistant with the initials DR. And then this other other quote that correct me mm-hmm. up. We might never be able to identify the man who helped the Countess of Pembroke. The man. You assholes. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Shut <Yeah>. up, Nigel. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need any more of your Nigility. <laughs> your Nigility. I, I, yeah. I love the... the <laughs> <laughs> the acute awareness of Deb penning that simple little word, man. I know. Yes. Talk about a poke in the face. Ah, <laughs> fuck you guys. I think she was poking poking Cambridge in the face. Yeah, no joke. Okay, so uh, here's where we're introduced to Ernst. Mm, first read. Who's this guy? So he says, uh, what is it, Shots? Ernst Newman put a glass of wine in front of his wife. She looked far too serious for a Monday night. This was a Varen Friday phase. So immediately, I think this is the time we were making guesses oh, as yeah. to who was in the congregation. Yes. And this yeah. came up. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And we th- my guess was it was Varen because Friday was when the congregation met. So she was usually pissy on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, what would make it your Friday face? For me, Friday's a joyous day. There were a lot of good guesses, though. Wasn't one of the guesses that you can't eat meat on Fridays back in the day? Not that she was Catholic. I I don't know. Friday was kind of an an abstinence kind of day. Huh. Okay. It wasn't wasn't happy hour. I know. Woohoo. Modern day. It's like, woo-woo. Gin. Wow. God. It's gin Friday. Anyway. So, Varen goes, nothing, she murmured, her eyes still fixed on the lines of print before a piece of unfinished family business. And then Ernst goes, is Baldwin involved? Did he lose a million euros today? And it's like, what? Okay, (laughs) so Varen Varen corrects that right away and says, Baldwin has never (laughs) lost (laughs) a million of anything anything in his life. Ernst noticed that Varen hadn't actually answered his questions. So mm. It's the vampire truths, half-truths. Yeah, yeah. So Varen makes a phone call to a coded number. She's like, "Mm -hmm." okay, Ernst. I got to make a phone call. You just sit tight, okay? 
Did we know that she was a vampire at this point? I didn't know when I first well, read this. No, we didn't know. Well, when, when they did say, I kind of assumed since they said to Claremont. Claremont. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, and so, the fact that she still looked 25. Right. Did I miss that, though? Yeah. It's right, that on the first the, page? right after the Baldwin yeah. stuff. Their wedding photos which showed Viren looking exactly as she did today in a 25-year-old version of himself. Right. Were that's when, that's when I clued in. I yeah. was like, oh, okay. So I'm like, who's this Ernst guy? What's going on? Ernst knows Isabeau as Melisande. And Melisande was uh, Isabeau's black period, we'll call it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll label it that. So I'm wondering what made Varen save him from her, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, because he was just a little boy, apparently. She killed his father. Was his father a Nazi or just a wayward German in the way or? Oh, he was probably a Nazi and maybe even a witch. You think? Well, I did find some Newmans in in the SS roles. Ah. When I went searching, you know, digging down rabbit holes, there was a Newman or two affiliated with Mengele, I want to say. So there you go. All right. So Varen calling this number and it's redirecting and redirecting and redirecting and connecting. And then finally it went through and a young voice answers. Who is this? He sounded American or English maybe, but with his accent nearly gone. There's Ed's accent right there. People who want a bitch. Yeah. I don't know. How's it How so? It's in the book. Well, people complain that Marcus is supposed to be American, but you know, when he came to the United States. sounds English. Wow, that old thing? <laughs> yeah, that old yeah, thing. But I'm just saying all that stuff people are complaining about, but it's right here in chapter 26. Well, I, I yeah, just said how so because it says. kind of English. But it says his accent nearly gone. That's why I was wondering how so because yeah. it definitely has an English accent. Yeah. yeah. Well, but still, I mean. Well, when they came to the United States, did they really have an accent distinct from British people no. at the time? Time? No, it kind of veered off after that. So yep. I don't know. Anyway, don't get hung up. Well, on and, his and Deb just went over the <laughs> yeah. whole exercise in her last Facebook live on again. It again. Yeah. 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 I'll put that in the show notes. You guys, you can watch her last Facebook live. Of course. Too. Of course. So Varen hung up immediately. She dropped the phone on the table and buried her face in her hands. She's like, oh, God, it's really happening. Just as my father said it would, because she probably thought her dad was crazy at the fucking oh, yeah. time. So it's like, when it's all happening, she's like, oh, Jesus Christ, here we go. Here we go. Right? Strap in. So Ernst is saying, you're frightening me because he's seen many horrors in his life, but none so vivid as those that tormented Varen on those rare occasions that she actually slept. The nightmares about Philippe were enough to unravel his normally composed wife. Who was that on the phone, he asked. And she goes, it wasn't who it was supposed to be. And he's not here. She said he's not here. Meaning she knows he's somewhere else in the past. So we're clued in that she's been clued in by Philippe that there's some shit going on that you need to pay attention to because mm. so she's trying to explain it without explaining it. Ernst just wants to have answers. Varen, you're not making any sense. He said sternly. I don't know if I'd say anything sternly to that woman, but she she must love him (laughs) a lot to spare him. He'd never met this troublesome stepbrother, the family intellectual and black sheep. Poor Ernst. He's so confused and he's been told the tale of the hot mess Matthew. You know? Everyone knows. It's far and wide the stories. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, aka the black sheep. Now I'm kind of feeling sorry for Matthew, even though I'm the worst person to say he's a hot mess. But the whole yeah. family's getting this story about him. It's like, can you at least meet him first and make that judgment for yourself? <laughs> well, but, but it, you don't necessarily have to meet him with the way the ripples from his nonsense like filter through 
through the family. Yeah, this is <laughs> and true. And here's some uh, more of it. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, wait. Oh, wait. My wife looks like she's about ready to, you know, have a stroke and she's a vampire. This is not good. This is not good. Not good at all. Okay, so she's dialing the phone again. This time, she the call went straight through. Who's she calling? Oh, my God. So, on the other line, you've read today's papers, Auntie Varen. I've been expecting your call for hours. Wait, stop there. Mm. This time when he said Auntie Varen, I definitely thought of him putting Diana in that compartment and forcing himself to call her auntie. Yeah. Uh-huh. Thinking, okay, think of Aaron, think of Aaron, think of Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, think of the queen when you're having sex. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Baseball stats. Yes. Bugs Bunny, Bugs Bunny, Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny. Okay, so she goes on to describe her nephew, and we learn a little more about Galaglass in this chapter. Modern day Galaglass. Yeah, in her mind, she says her nephew was a drifter. In the past, he'd sent postcards with nothing but a phone number on them from whatever stretch of the road he was traveling at the moment. The Autobahn in Germany, Route 66 in the States, uh, Trollstigen in Norway, the Guliang Tunnel Road in China. She received fewer of these terse announcements since the age of international cell phones. With GPS and the internet, she can locate Galaglass anywhere. Varen rather missed the postcards, though. That kind of reminds me of another auntie we'll meet later on. Oh, yes, 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 yes. yes. Mm Mm-hmm. So Galaglass answers somewhere outside of Warren Bowl. I think I said that right. I don't know. Warren Bowl. Mm-hmm. And Varen's like, where the hell's that? And Ernst and Galaglass at the same time, Australia. And then Galaglass is kind of giving her shit. Is that a German accent I hear? Have you found a new boyfriend? Huh? <laughs> and Varen's like, watch yourself, pup. You may be family, but I can still rip your throat out. That's my husband, Ernst. So can we pause here for a second to address one of the comments from our discusser that she thought that was quite a long time for vampires to go and not know the goings on. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's more than it's a little over 50 years. And that's yeah, that falls, that falls like in line in a, with a vampire minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we don't know that he's that Ernst is a mate, right? He's not. He's yeah. just a well, husband. Ernst isn't. He's not a mate. OK. OK. And that's Deb confirmed, right? Yes. Yes. Not a mate, a husband. But she loves him, though. She does. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, at this point, Ernst sat forward in his chair and shook his head in warning. He didn't like it when his wife took on a male vampire, even though she was stronger than most. I mean, Varen's not concerned. She's I can see whatever. her being on the phone and kind of like waving her hand off to the side, kind of like, stop it. Stop Just, worrying. I'm on the phone. Shut up. I'm on the phone. Right. And so Galaglass comes back. There's my scary auntie, Varen. It's good to hear your voice after all these years. And don't pretend you're any more surprised to see this story than I was to get your call. And then Varen's like, part of me hoped he was raving. She's remembering the night when she and Galaglass had sat by Philippe's bed and listen to all the ramblings. Galgos is like, okay, so did you imagine it was contagious and I was raving too? Come on, was I crazy too? But <laughs> it's like, do you think that little of me, Varen? Oh, man. Yeah. And then uh, she goes, she thinks to herself that, God, he sounds more and more like Philippe. Philippe, yeah. What do you think he told her? What do you think he was saying? He, do you think he was confirming the story, like trying to sort out what Philippe was saying? Or well, I think he was there to say, confirm that Philippe was in his right mind more than anything else. Yeah. She actually here says, I hope that there was a case, a matter of fact, that he was raving. It had been much easier to believe than the alternative that her father's impossible tale of a time-spinning witch was true. He told her the details, well, you know. I knew Philippe witch. did, but I didn't know if yeah. Galaglass yeah. was like, yep, every word of it. In fact, I met her back 400 years ago. I didn't know if he went into all that backstory. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but yeah, I would imagine he did, though. I would imagine he did, because it's like, did you think I was raving, too? So... 
I, uh, she wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think she kept the possibility open until now. Yeah. Yeah. So she's, uh, Varen's a little freaked out, but Galaglass is trying to reassure her. You haven't seen Matthew with her. Once you do, though, she says, I think my stepbrother is more of a problem. Not possible. Yeah, there you go. It's like, <laughs> hot mess. I don't think it gets any hotter than it already is. Yeah. Uh, I'm reading this, and this is when I'm first getting the little twinges about Galaglass and finding, knowing what I know about Galaglass and his feelings for Diana. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing it through a different lens. And I think Galaglass is a little bit biased here in his yeah. revelations. But okay. I mean, she needs an advocate. And uh, Philippe thought this out. He really did. Varen is, uh, she's very um, opinionated as far as Diana being Philippe's daughter as well. The witch isn't his real daughter. So, you know, yeah. let's get that out of the way. And besides, Matthew isn't here. Varen said, looking at the paper. I called the number. Someone else answered and it wasn't Baldwin. So I guess the assumption was Baldwin was supposed to pick up the Knights of Lazarus hotline, right? Yeah. Yeah. Why? I don't know. Because he was the only surviving son. If Matthew was gone, it, it should have gone to the surviving son. I don't son. think Philippe told, gave her the memo that Matthew was to take the brotherhood over. Yeah. This is one really good example of how he already uh, had, though, at Philippe this point. Really compartmentalized orders to different people. Like what was going you know, Nobody knew the whole plan. Yeah. I think. Yeah. She knew that the brotherhood went to Matthew. Yeah. But she probably assumed that what, if it wasn't Matthew, then it would be Baldwin. Then it would she be right, right, right. privy to that part of the instruction that yeah. never let Baldwin have it. Yeah. She wasn't right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wait till you wait till you hear this again, Valerie. <laughs> like, I was agree- huh. I was agreeing with you and you guys were huh. like explaining to me. You were you were you were demon explaining. It's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be a hell of an outtake, right? <laughs> so that's like that's kind of a Christ Marcus right there in the book. Galaglass is letting her know, hey, you've reached Marcus, and uh, Marcus is the future of the Declermonts. <laughs> and Baron's like, she's pretty much laughing like me. <laughs> right, like, sure. It's like what? What the fuck? And uh, Galaglass is like, give him a chance too, Auntie Varen. He's a good lad. As for the family's future, that depends on all of us. Philippe knew that, or he wouldn't have made us promise to return to Septor. So, Philippe de Claremont had been very specific with his daughter and grandson. They were watched for signs, stories of a young American witch with great power, the name Bishop, alchemy, and then a rash of uh, anomalous historical discoveries, like this newspaper article. And there is the answer to your question, Val. (laughs) Yes, there you go. If I would have kept reading at the time... I was probably like, huh. You would have just jumped ahead. You yeah, like, no, no I, I tend to ask a lot of questions. I think this is why I read so fast. I'm just like, what's the answer? What's the answer? What's the answer? So, okay. And we'll go through this backstory. For decades, Galglass had waited. He had heard stories of a witch from Massachusetts named Rebecca, one of the last descendants of Salem's Bridget Bishop. Reports of her power spread far and wide, as did news of her tragic death. Galglass tracked her surviving daughter to upstate New York. He checked on the girl periodically, watching as Diana Bishop played on the monkey bars at the playground, went to birthday parties, and graduated from college. Galglass had been as proud as any parent to see her pass her Oxford Viva. He often stood beneath the Carolyn at, uh, how do you say that? Carillion? Carolyn. 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 Okay. Carolyn at Harkness Tower at Yale. The power of the bell sound 
reverberating through his body while the young professor walked across campus. Her clothing was different, but there was no mistaking Diana's determined gait or the set of her shoulders, whether she was wearing a farthing girl and a ruff or a pair of trousers and an unflattering man's jacket. Uh, Lovely. Side little asterisk yeah. here. I mm-hmm. did I did play the Carolina Harkness Tars, just saying. No, you That's did. True. You did. You did. <laughs> Link to that in the show notes, people. You'll get to see that. Yay. <laughs> so this just confirmed that the person watching, because I think Diana had said in a discovery, which is she felt creatures watching her all her life. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. so we know one of them was Gallo Glass now because yes. he was checking her yes. out at a birthday party on the swings. She said she felt vampires watching her and it was Gallo Glass. So yes. there we go. And we got a little bit of retcon. Yes. Yes. OK. So when Gallo Glass learned that Baldwin had been called to Septour at Isabeau's behest for some unspecified emergency involving Matthew, the Gale knew it was only a matter of time before the historical anomalies appeared. Okay, so what did you guys think of this and his thoughts throughout? Because he's kind of being wistful here. He knows yeah. when he goes back, it's pretty much going to be a goodbye as well as a hello. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're going to get when we get to the end of this chapter. It really tells cl- it. It's very clear right. because I think in retrospect, the way we were interpreting the way it. we were interpreting it was all wrong. I mean, yeah. now it's extremely clear. It was not. Let's do a comparison. What we thought and what it is. OK. At the end. Or at the end. Okay. All right. So meanwhile, he was preparing for the gathering storm as he always did by traveling far and as fast as he could. Once it had been the seas and then the rails, but now Galglass took on the roads, motorcycling around many hairpin turns at um, mountainsides as he could. With the wind streaming through his shaggy hair, his leather jacket fastened tight around his neck to hide the fact that his skin never showed any hint of tan. Galglass readied himself for the call of duty to fulfill his long ago promise to defend the de Claremonts no matter what the cost. Varen's still on the other side of the line while he's, you know, thinking about all this shit. She's like, Galglass, hello. <laughs> and he's like, uh, yeah, still here, Auntie. When are you going? Varen sighed and rested her head in her hand. She couldn't bring herself to look at Ernst yet. Poor Ernst, who had knowingly married a vampire and in doing so had unwittingly involved himself in a tangled tale of blood and desire that looped and swirled throughout the centuries. Yeah, poor Ernst. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> now that I think about it. So Galglass says... I told Marcus to expect me the day after tomorrow. And then Varen's like, I'll see you there. He goes, travel safe, Auntie Varen. Hung up the phone. And so Galgloss put the phone in his pocket and stared out to sea. He'd been shipwrecked once on this stretch of Australian coast. He was fond of the sights where he'd been washed ashore. A merman coming aground in a tempest to find that he could live on solid ground after all. He'd reach for his cigarettes, like riding a motorcycle without a helmet. Smoking was a way of thumbing his nose at the universe that had given him immortality with one hand, but on the other, taken away everyone he loved. And you'll take these away from me too, won't you? And um, this is the part of the part I was talking about. My thought here is he knew what he knew. He knew he'd have to separate himself from this whole situation. He knew he'd have to be done with him. Hindsight is twenty twenty. And my first read, I took this as an ominous operation. Like I thought, A, I thought he was probably figured he was going to die. And then B, everyone he loved, I was thinking it was Hugh and, and Philippe and everyone 
everybody who had died and Godfrey and yeah, yeah. that family. I mean, it wasn't so much a prospective. Exactly. Thought. It was more more retrospective, especially when we're talking about the Merman and a Tempest. None. Then it's like I'm thinking about Shakespeare, too. It's like, right. OK, is that another silly story that Gallaglass was telling him full of fairies and magic? Yeah, that was all fodder to confuse me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Turns out Deb threw that in there to, you know, hey, think about this. It's like, oh, is this yeah. a Merman? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I think that, that sent us all the way down that, oh, that path that he was sure super, did. super old. Yeah. yeah. And then I was like, Myrmidon, maybe, well, maybe he was fighting with Achilles. No, this right. was just a Shakespeare reference. And that story Philippe told by the fireplace in uh, Septour didn't help either. Right. He's like, I've oh, known no. of creatures in the sea. Yes. <laughs> fighting with thunderbolts. Yes. And, yeah. So we thought maybe Galaglass was a merman. Oh, my God. No, no <laughs> such luck. No such luck. Okay. He's just a Galaglass. <laughs> he said <laughs> he had always possessed a healthy respect for magic, even before he met Diana Bishop. There were powers abroad on the earth and seas that no creature understood, and Galaglass knew well enough to look the other way when they approached. But he couldn't resist the runes. So mm-hmm. he carried the runes with him. So the first one he pulled up was Nid, the rune for absence and desire. Galaglass dipped his hand in the bag again to better understand what he wanted the future to hold. Old Owl, the glyph for home, family, and inheritance. He drew out the final room, one that would show him how to fulfill his knowing wish to belong. Rad. This was a confusing room, one that stood for both arrival and a departure, a journey's beginning and its ending, a first meeting as well as a long-awaited reunion. Galglass's hand closed around the bit of wood. This time its meaning was clear. And then he says, you travel safely to Auntie Diana and bring that uncle of mine with you. Galglass said to the sea and the sky before he climbed back on his bike and headed into a future where he can no longer imagine nor postpone. Okay, let's give our thoughts on these runes. Um, what did you guys originally think of the runes? I was just predicting their return. Yeah, yeah. 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 Gathering back at Setur, the yeah. reunion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the beginning and the ending, that last rune, um, I originally thought that the ending, oh my God, something terrible is going to happen. But mm-hmm. I felt like he knew in his heart, it's like he's going to reunite with them one more time and then he's got to go. And then he needs to go off and start his own His own thing. story. Can't be beholden to the fan. You know, he's... He- he has been a slave to his promises to Philippe for years. Yes. Yeah, centuries. His mission is, always, that, is almost complete. And now he can yes. move on Let to his own. Let it go. Yep. Let it go. Yes. You didn't have to tell Diana, though, Gal Glass. That's so fucked no, up. No, didn't. <laughs> 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 okay. Well, okay. I don't know. Yeah, I go guess. Go ahead. Go ahead. I think he's going to live a hell of a lot longer life than than she is. So he could have told her maybe later when she's about to die. Yeah. And then on her deathbed. <laughs> See, that would have been reasonable. I could have. Yeah. I could have. I could have dealt with that. You know, even if she said, you know what, I always suspect it, but that's cool. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> cool. That's cool. Uh. <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great last line out of somebody. <laughs> that's cool. Like you just gave her a dose of hemlock or something. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> With little X's for eyes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I put him at her deathbed, not Matthew, but whatever. Well, they all got to turn to unload. <laughs> yeah. It's my turn now. Right. It's my turn. <laughs> it's like, take a number. <laughs> oh, God. 
Okay, so back to 1591, guys. They're in Prague. And Matthew wants to know where his red hose is. Okay. God, it's, it's, this is like such a typical man thing. Where's my keys? <laughs> Phone. Insert. Wallet. Yes. <laughs> Where's my belt? My favorite shirt. My yeah. my t-shirt. My shoes. From, my t-shirt where are my from shoes? 15 where years ago. Where you took ago. them off your feet. Right. Uh, where's your wallet? In my purse where it went to after you handed it to me and said, do something with this. Where's my favorite shirt from 1994? Where'd that go? Remember? Yeah. That, that oh, throwback yeah. shirt. Where is it? Threw it out. It had two holes in it. What? <laughs> yeah, I told you in 1994, I threw it out. It had two holes in it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Wh- where's my... Um, well, when we were packing, you decided you didn't want to bring it with you. It's right. on the bed at home. What I liked about this was, here it is, Diana finding all his shit as it happens in a lot of domestic partnerships. The partner finds... Because when you can't find something, and I'm guilty of this, when I can't find something, no one in the household can rest until I find that thing. Right. I am that person. No, stop everything you're doing and look for my thing. That's how I am. Mm-hmm. Robert's worse than me, but I I recognize this in myself. If I can't find my keys, if I can't, someone must have moved them because I put them in the same place every time. Do you pull out like time. an APB? If you've seen yes. this, please tell me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be terrible about my cell phone back when I had a flip phone, you know, and I'd always wind up calling it. <laughs> It's pretty fucking bad. But uh, no, no. Now my phone never leaves me. So it's fine. So here we are. Diana is uh, she's able. We see her magic is advanced enough where she's able to find stuff using her magic. Do you know what I find really funny about all this is Diana's inner dialogue about Matthew's fashion choices. I find it incredibly ironic given Diana's fashion sense, even after being coached by Mary Sidney. Well, Diana's kind of plain Janey, though. So Diana's not flashy at all. So I feel like Red would offend her as far as hose. Well, no, no, no. I'm not. What, but what I'm saying is, is like she shouldn't be giving anybody fashion advice about anything. Oh. Period <laughs> is my point. Oh, well. I mean, she's having the what is he thinking conversation in her head. I'm like, uh, you wear ratty yoga pants. Yeah, she wears ratty yoga pants, but ratty yoga pants aren't noticeable. Right. And for people who like to hide, like Diana does. Matthew can't hide being six foot three. Which is what she was saying. beautiful vampire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, the, but uh, here's the point. She's met Matthew and he's always been impeccably dressed. Is Red impeccably dressed? In a court situation? Yeah. If you're trying to get somebody to respond to who is not trying who is not responding to any of your correspondences yeah yeah it's just an intention getter i guess that's her point yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah well and to, to argue against is kind of foolish well <laughs> he's six three and breathtakingly beautiful and he's got red holes she on. Thought that was being yeah. too extra <laughs> yes <laughs> there's nothing wrong with being extra especially with this guy oh gosh <laughs> she didn't need any blood red anything and he took well, which will get you notice of yes. her. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Okay, so she finds the hose and um, he wants to know if his package arrived and it did. So there's this Bosch thing. And what did you guys, had you guys heard of a Bosch before? This, oh, yeah. This is my first. I had never heard of it. Yeah, I don't think I had. I did either at that point. I, I had to look it up. So oh, um, she's looking at this triptych and she's looking at the work and she's like, what does it all mean? And and the way it's described, it's like, oh, what does it mean? 
<laughs> what is this? And Matthew explains to her that it represents an old Flemish proverb. The forest has eyes and the woods have ears. Therefore, I will see, be silent and hear. And it's very much like the queen. I see and I'm silent. The queen had that one portrait where she had ears mm-hmm. all over her dress. Right. So so the panels showed fallen angels painted against same. You know, see, because when I'm see, seeing a black velvety background, I'm thinking of those 70s glow in the dark neon posters. <laughs> you know what I mean? See, yeah, well, the, the weird thing about Bosch is, is like, it's so, it's a lot like the Voynich. It's a lot of odd things mishmashed together. It, it basically looks like a drug-fueled senior project. <laughs> Somebody dropped too much acid before they painted their last five paintings to get out of art school. Our discusser and patron Elena had sent us a bunch of art cards of Bosch images. And I was like, oh, that's why they looked weird. <laughs> Some of these images, I'll try to take pictures and put them in the show notes so you can get a good idea of what I'm talking about here. So thank you, Elena, for that again. And yeah. Uh, yeah. These pictures are kind of psychedelic for back then. Okay, so the center, however, showed a very different image of death. The resurrected Lazarus calmly climbing out of his coffin with his long legs, dark hair and serious expression. He looked rather like Matthew. Mm -hmm. And all around the borders of the center panel, lifeless vines produced strange fruits and flowers. Some drip blood. Others gave birth to people and animals. And no Jesus was in sight. And it sounds like the Arbidiani a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. And Ashmole 782, the way it's described, like, creatures like the the alchemical wedding weird creatures Mm -hmm. and bodies and you know in fact that's a that's a foreshadowing of the final page yes the tree right yes and it's the page that timothy sorry (laughs) spoiler spoiler alert but (laughs) that was a demon page (laughs) but we do spoil on this show so it's fine so she says uh lazarus reminds me of you and resembles you and he says Jeroen or Hieronymus, as you know, saw something he shouldn't have. And I didn't know Jeroen had witnessed me feeding until I saw the sketches he made with me in a warm blood. From that day on, he believed all creatures had a dual nature, part human and part animal. And then Diana says, and sometimes part vegetable. I know. Having a strawberry for a head, that was cherries for hands. What the hell? And just nakedness in between. Oh, awesome. Why? Of course, there was going to be nakedness in between. It's a man painting it. Absolutely, they like their boob pictures, man. Uh, so she asked, "Does Rudolph know you're a vampire?" As Elizabeth does, and as Bosch did, he goes, "Yes, the emperor knows. I'm the member of the congregation too." And then he twisted his bright red hose into a knot. Thank you for finding these. Mm-hmm. And the car keys come up. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> So (laughs) Diana says, so tell me if you have a habit of losing your car keys, because I'm not putting up with this kind of panic every morning when you get ready for work. And then Matthew comes back. He's like, what are you going to do? Divorce me? And then she comes back. Well, you promised me vampires don't do divorce. And then she says, you're going to look like a cartoon character if you put on those red socks on. I'd stick with the black ones if I were you. You stand out regardless. So I kind of, that's why, Gene, when you're like, he shouldn't, she shouldn't be giving advice. I'd be giving him the same advice. I'm like, you look like a clown out there. What are you doing? Well, I guess I'm wrong. (laughs) (laughs) It won't be the first time and it's not the last time. (laughs) I love you, Gene. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Gene's 
not talking to me now. Are you okay? <laughs> oh, shit. She didn't fall out the wagon. She jumped out the wagon. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> she said FTA. SIO. I'm here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, shit. Anyway. So Matthew goes back and he says, which? Uh, so he went up the hill to the castle wearing sober black hose and carrying a long convoluted message, partially in verse. Why do you guys think he did that? I mean, it says so here, but I mean, it doesn't tell me a whole lot about Rudolph's court and what he was trying to do here. He thought he was like the epitome of culture and and had poets and all, artisans of all kinds on retainer and, you know, Matthew Royden, who is a poet. You know, look, I, I wrote this for you. The guy's got an ego as big as Czechoslovakia. Uh, That's so. true. Or big, big as the Holy Roman Empire, actually. And he's had to have dealt with Rudolph before, right? You would think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so he comes back. Um, he didn't get to see Rudolph, even with his fancy words and everything. And um, maybe he should have wore the red hose, huh, Gene? <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> that one's got him nowhere. <laughs> Okay, so he's complaining it was like being stuck in a cattle truck with all these warm bodies cooped up together. He said he tried to go somewhere to clear the air for breath, but nearby some rooms were filled with witches. And then, so Diana's interested. Witches? Well, this is the best part. The witches are all from Trier. Trier? Yeah, aren't they just, aren't they <laughs> hiding? They, 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 they all came over to bitch about what's going on in Germany. <laughs> yeah. Hmm, do we know anybody there? Hmm, we may. We may. Hmm. Let me let me think on this. Melisande, maybe in her black period. No, black period. No, she's out with the red shoe man. Gerber. The red shoe man. Gerber. Gerber. Ah, Gerber. That's right. That's right. I don't know. I don't know that Matthew has dealt with Rudolph before. He's certainly been there before for his predecessors. I mean, we're going to get to that part in a little bit, but right, it doesn't right. seem like he's dealt with Rudolph. And he's there yeah. under the guise of Matthew Royden, even though Rudolph knows he's a vampire. That he does know. And he yeah. knows he's a Declaremont. Yeah. Yeah. Because he, well, no, Rudolph would know who he is. At least he would have dealt with him in correspondence if he knows him through the congregation. Hmm. And he knows he's a vampire. Hmm. Would R- Rudolph would have written to the congregation? Well, the, why not? I mean, the congregation was dealing with James. The congregation was dealing with Elizabeth. They were probably the only one I would question about whether they were dealing with was Philip of Spain because he was such a tight ass Catholic that he probably would refuse to believe in witches. Yeah, Yeah. probably not even acknowledge them. Rudolph, yeah. And Rudolph was fascinated by it all, which makes this whole covenant still more confusing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's, he's got demons on his payroll and everything else. So. Even if Matthew had not physically been at his court before, I would, I, I feel confident saying they're at least acquainted. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying that he doesn't, they don't know who each other is, just that has he been in court and in his previous iteration, in his previous Matthew Claremont or Matthew Wright himself, would he, would he have been to court? Probably not. To, mm. But I'm trying to remember exactly. Well, the other question becomes when did Rudolph become Holy Roman Emperor, uh, he may have met Matthew as Sebastian St. Clair with Matthew visiting the court of his predecessor. And he would have known that was the same person, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And yeah. as I said, we're going to get to the 1547 when they were there in the, with the Brotherhood when Rudolph was not the Holy Roman Emperor. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he was there. I just was trying to think of whether the previous Matthew Royden under Elizabeth, he wouldn't have been sent on. This is the first time he's been sent on this errand. The previous one yeah. wasn't sent on this errand. Yeah. Well, he he ended up being Matthew Royden about the time, somewhere around or before the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. 1580s. Hmm. 15, you know, or maybe 
maybe maybe in the mid 1570s. When was okay? He was Matthew before De, after De La Fare. De La Fare. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Where are we going? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to figure out. Um, and Sebastian St. Clair was up until I want to say close to 1540 because he. Yeah, it was like 39, 1539 or 1540 because he went back to the French court before just before Henry died mm. because that's where he got the salamander necklace that we haven't was, seen yet right that we haven't seen yet okay but that's that, that that was how we figured out that date because he he came from the English court to the French court and Elizabeth was like nine or ten or something mm-hmm. at the time so I think uh we went down the wrong yeah, road I don't know so where. I'm gonna, do, <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> turn the wagon here <laughs> the, the question being is if he ran across Rudolph before he probably would have been some iteration of definitely some iteration of Matthew whether it was Royden or de Clermont is unclear but I don't think he he probably would not have been Sebastian St. Clair. No, he would, he would not have been. He would have been one of the Matthews. One of the Matthews. And he would have known as this is the same probably guy. Probably Royden if, if yeah. Rudolph yeah. became Holy Roman Emperor in the mid 70s and Royden became Royden in the mid 70s. About that, yeah, about that time. So. All right. So Diana wants to know, hey, there's witches. And Matthew says there's dozens of them. They were complaining about what's happening in Germany. Where's Galglass? And so. <laughs> Yeah, your, nep- <laughs> your nephew is buying eggs and securing a service, the services of a housekeeper and a cook. And Francoise had flatly refused to join our expedition to Central Europe. She viewed, <laughs> viewed it as a godless land of Lutherans. She was now back at the old lodge spoiling Charles. She loved Charles. I guess she doesn't like making whatever the predecessor to green bean casserole was. <laughs> All right. So she says, tell me more about the witches. Matthew says the city is a safe haven for every creature in Central Europe who fears for his safety, demon, vampire, or witch. But the witches are especially welcome in Rudolph's court because he covets their knowledge and power. Interesting. No sooner had I started wondering about their identities than a series of faces appeared before my third eye. So, yeah, her magic's getting very developed because she's asking questions about these people that she's seeing. Hey, who's that witch with the red beard and the the one with the blue eye and one green eye? And he's like, we're not going to be here long enough for their identities to matter. Well, what's interesting is the witch with the blue and the green eye is it sounds like Champier. Well, he was another witch that had two different color eyes. But she killed him. I know, but my point being, be another is, one and another one pops up but i'm just saying another one's popping up is this another member of the extended family or or it could just be a random seer or or is it just the fact that you've got a lot of witches that have a form of uh chimerism yeah is I, that a weaver i'm just saying it's 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 not, an interesting uh, detail yeah i i don't know I, I since it was a hot pot and a hot place for creatures i didn't take uh the different colored eyes as that unusual back then not that it's that common, but it just seems like it's indicative of a gift, not necessarily for just a witch. Right. A seer. But she knows there's another seer in town. Right. And she knows there's a wizard in town. She's seeing all these faces. So she's very aware. And he's like, yeah, don't worry about it. But to me, Matthew saying not worry about it <laughs> means you should probably worry right, about it Right, when he brushes bit. something off. So Matthew said, don't worry about that. 
And he, he said it ominously on the way out the door, having including the day's business for Elizabeth. He was headed across the river to Prague's old town on behalf of the congregation. So this is some other business he, he's got to take care of. And it made me wonder, what kind of business is he involved with? I mean, this whole time he's dealing with a congregation, he's dealing with Queen, he's dealing with the courts and is like everywhere he goes, he can't take a break from this shit. He's constantly busy. Right. So I don't know. Galglass returned to Sporengasa with two vampires and a pretzel. See, there you go. Angela, you always mention that pretzel. I know. <laughs> I just found a box of pretzel mix in my cabinet the other day, too. Do you make them from scratch? I never have, but I guess apparently I'm going to try. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've never picked up some pretzel mints thinking I was going to make pretzels. <laughs> How we learn about these two vampires, Carolina the cook and Teresa the housekeeper, were members of a sprawling clan of Bohemian vampires dedicated to serving the aristocracy and important foreign visitors like the de Claremont retainers. They earned their reputation and an unusually large salary. Wow. I know. That always answers my perpetual question on like why you would choose to be on the retainer. I'm rich, for eternity. Exactly. <laughs> Shit. Our household established Matthew loped up the hill each morning to the castle when I unpacked. I met my neighbors in the neighborhood below the castle walls called uh, Malastrana, which means what? Bad street? Sounds like bad street in Italian. What is it? I don't know that you... I think it's Steep Street. Yeah, I don't think you'd name something bad. Let me live, <laughs> let me live on that bad... I, I see where you're coming from with the, with the etymology, yeah. but <laughs> it has that accent over the last A, so I right, don't think... Right, right. Because I'm thinking mall. Right, right. <laughs> right, 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 right. Okay. And... Watch for the absent members of the household. So she missed Annie's cheerfulness, wide-eyed approach to the world, as well as Jack's unfailing ability to get himself into trouble. So apparently they're on their way. It was late afternoon on the first day of spring. The house was filling up with homely scents of pork and dumplings when a scrappy eight-year-old tackled me. And it was Jack. Oh, my God. Yay, Jack. She looked up and smiled at Annie and Pierre. And she said, Matthew will be so glad that you all arrived. He's missed you. And Jack says, we missed him, too. Oh, I thought this was cool. And I thought yes. it was cool that Pierre brought them. So <laughs> he had to watch over them. And it looked like he had a little growth spurt. And he looked wan. And she wanted to know if he had been ill. Apparently, he'd been having trouble sleeping. She said, I could tell from his serious tone that there was more to the story, but it could wait. So what did you think maybe was wrong with Jack when he was having trouble sleeping? And did you have any idea? Maybe he caught a flu on his way or? No, I just thought it was. Yeah, well, growth spurt. Yeah. Sometimes kids with growth spurts can't get comfortable. And to loop back, Malastrana means little side of the river. Ah, okay. Malastrana. Yeah, it has to do with what side of the river they were on. Okay. I did, I did figure it was figurative demons for Jack. For Jack? Yeah. Just unrestful sleep. You know, he's still, he's only lived with them for how long? It, that just doesn't go away. And now they're gone. That little bit of stability he had for a minute is gone. So I mean, kids are yeah. malleable, but, you know, you hear stories of people who lived through the Depression, how they would still hide food even when times were abundant because they never knew yeah. when their, their good times were going to be taken away. Yeah, it's true. Um, well, she assures him that he'll sleep tonight and that there was an enormous feather bed in his room. Go away 
with Teresa. Jack, she'll show you where your things are. But enter Matthew and Jack is like, Master Royden! And he hurls himself in the door, flinging it open before Teresa could stop him. And how he detected Matthew was a mystery given the growing darkness in Matthew's head-to-toe adoption of slate-colored wool. So Jack knew who was there. He was attached to Matthew. It's really cool. He was telling stories. We almost froze in the river and the sled turned over once, but the dogs were not hurt. I ate roasted boar and Annie caught her skirt in the wagon wheel and almost tumbled out. These sound like horrific stories, but Jack's is happy about them. <laughs> Uh, he said he saw a blazing star and he drew a picture and Matthew's complimenting him and saying, this is quite good. And so after he gets off to bed, Matthew's wondering, has Jack been sick? Pierre's given him the lowdown. No, my lord. Since we left you, his sleep had been troubled. Pierre hesitated. I think the evils in his past haunt him. Otherwise, the journey was as you expected. And this was his cagey way of asking whether they had been set upon by bandits or plagued by supernatural or preternatural beings. And Pierre says it was long and it was cold and the children were always hungry. And then Galagos is like, well, that sounds about right. And then Pierre wants to know, and you, my lord, is Prague as you expected? Basically, Matthew's like, okay, Rudolph hasn't seen me yet, so we're not even going to talk about that. Pierre asks delicately, and the old town, it's as much as it ever was. And I didn't know about the old town, but apparently Diana knew. So long as you ignore the gossip coming from the Jewish quarter, one of their witches made a creature from clay who prowls the street at night and Galglass is giving the whole store away. Mm-hmm. Galglass turned innocent eyes to his uncle. Saving that, it is practically unchanged from the last time we were here to help Emperor Ferdinand secure the city in 1547. So they were there. Was he there as Royden? No. As the Brotherhood, I would think, just like they were yeah. when they meet Father Hubbard for the first time in London. Okay. Yeah. So Matthew's pissed. He's like, thanks, Galglass, for telling Diana everything. Surely it would require more than an ordinary spell to construct a creature from mud and set it in motion. Such a rumor can mean only one thing. Somewhere in Prague, there was a weaver like me who could move between the world of the living and the world of the dead. But I didn't have to call Matthew on his secret. His nephew beat me to it. So, yeah, Galgas just told on his ass. So Of course. Yep. Matthew ran his fingers through the, the painted wood surface of the triptych and sighed. You'll have to take this up to the palace, Pierre. And then Pierre's like, that's the altarpiece from Septours. I cannot. The emperor is known for his caution. Surely it's only a matter of time before he admits you. And Matthew's like, we don't have time. And the Declaremonts have ultra pieces of plenty. He's like, let me write a note to the emperor and you can be on your way. Matthew sent Pierre on his way. That night, Jack was having problems sleeping and Matthew went to help him. He was drawing. He said, tell me what happens when I shade the side of the monster's face. Matthew's hand moved swiftly over the large sheet of... Full scap? Full scap. What does that mean? I shouldn't define it. Full scap is like low-cost paper. Ah. It's like scrap. Okay. Full scap for him. It makes him seem farther away, Jack whispered, awestruck by the transformation. You try it. It's very nice that they're bonding right here and Matthew's helping him. So on the next day, they received a note from the emperor. It was sealed with a thick wax and ribbons. The painting worked, my lord, Pierre said apologetically. It figures. I love that altarpiece. Now (laughs) now I'll have a hell of a time getting it back. And to me, that's funny that he's going to try to get it back because he's like, yeah, you can have this. This so Matthew. (laughs) You can have this. I'll come get it later. (laughs) We'll come back and steal it another day. (laughs) 
What the hell? So he says, I'm going to go to Rudolph this afternoon. Matthew said with a satisfied smile. My father will be pleased. He sent some money and jewels too. But it would appear that the Declaremonts got off lightly this time. And then Pierre's like, okay, hang on. <laughs> he held out another smaller letter addressed in a plainer style. The emperor added a postscript in his own hand. And I looked at Matthew's shoulder and read it. Bringing das Buch and die Hexe. And I, I know German, so bring the book and the witch. Come on now. <laughs> and then Matthew's like, oh, shit, I spoke too soon. I told you to hook him with Titian's great canvas of Venus that grandfather took off of King Philip's hands when his wife objected to it, Galaglass observed. Like his uncle, Rudolph had always been unduly fond of redheads and saucy pictures. <laughs> I think Philip's queen objected to it because it looked like his mistress. And witches. So, yeah. Was he really into witches? I mean, Rudolph for- was into the occult and he was into alcohol. Me. So yeah. I know you did. A, he was a freak. I know you did a um, weekly geek on him. Yeah, it was mostly his cabinet of curiosities, and he did collect oddities. You know, magic making things. And, right. Yes. In this chapter and the next one, you're going to see how he collects people just like he collects things because you've got Herr Huffnagel here with the ornate handwriting mentioned already. Right. Yeah. His court calligrapher, who is a real person, and then it'll just go on and on. He has lots of jobs for lots of people. Right. And then you have Senior Strata and his sister. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, poor thing. Okay, we'll get there. Um, It wasn't the painting that baited him, but it was Diana. Maybe I should refuse his invitation. That was a command, Uncle. And Rudolph has Ashmole 782, Diana said. It's not simply going to appear in front of the three ravens on Sporgasa. We're going to have to find it. Are you calling us ravens, Auntie? Galglass said with mock offense. I'm talking about the sign on the house, you great oaf. Okay. <laughs> so apparently there's a sign at the house. With ravens. So when I read this, remember, okay, this is kind of an aside. Remember we were talking about uh, American gods? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. That guy you were talking about, Angela, the main yes. god? Yep. Okay. He plays Odin. He okay. is Odin. Yeah. He has a son, Thor. Yeah. He shows up in some, I don't know, some speakeasy somewhere. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. really crazy. But anyway, that was an aside. Back to the story. Besides, Galglass continued, among my people, it's a great compliment to be likened to a raven. I'll be Munion and Matthew will call him Hungen, and your name will be Gondol, auntie. You'll make a fine Valkyrie. They want to know what he's talking about. And Matthew's like, Odin's ravens and his daughters. And then she's like, okay, thank you, Galglass. I said awkwardly, it couldn't be a bad thing to be liking to a god's daughter. See, knowing what I know about Galglass now, and I'm reading all these things, and I'm like, Galglass, you weren't really being secretive at all. Right. Yeah. No. <laughs> she was, Diana was just being her oblivious self. I would be oblivious if I were Diana, but Matthew knows, you know? <laughs> Matthew's like, what are you doing, pal? What are you doing, man? <laughs> All right. So historians will never know if a text will provide answers. If it doesn't, though, we'll still have better questions as a result. And then Matthew says, point taken, as I can't get in to see the emperor or his library without you, you won't leave Prague without the book. There's nothing for it. We'll both go to the palace. And then Galga says, you've been hoist by your own petard, uncle. He was happy. When compared to our visit to Richmond, the trip up the street to see the emperor seemed almost like popping next door to borrow a cup of sugar from a neighbor, though it required more formal costume. The papal ambassador's mistress was much my size. So I'm thinking that's 
Teresa. She had brought some stuff with her. Teresa and the other one. Carolina. Carolina. So yes. she had brought some clothes with them to fit on her. I would think so. Yeah. Or they were asked to obtain some court clothes for her and that's what they did. They got them from the papal ambassador's mistress. Right. <laughs> ah, right. There we go. Diana's trying to clarify how they're going to present themselves. So she goes, we're going as the de Claremonts, not Royden. And then Matthew's like, no, we are Matthew and Diana Royden. We're just traveling with the de Claremont family servants. And then she's like, okay, that should confuse everybody. And Matthew's like, exactly. <laughs> confuse exactly no one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Had we been going as ordinary citizens, we would have climbed the new palace steps, which uh, clung to the ramparts and provided a safe way for pedestrians. Instead, we wended our way up Sporengaza on horseback as befitted a representative of the Queen of England. So I'm thinking her little foray into the past and going all these places. Uh, you're lucky you hooked up with Matthew, man, because <laughs> <laughs> she got the deluxe to her. I know. I mean, it's all luxury here. So... <laughs> So eventually the palace guard admitted him through the west gate into an enclosed courtyard here. And uh, they're walking through and they run into Tadeus Hayek. Is that how you pronounce that? And Master Strata. Uh-huh. So Hayek is... An astronomer, I think. Yeah. And Strata is... Well, I know Strata uh, is... He's the, is, the librarian. Oh, and, right. And historian. His sister... Uh, Rudolph is his sister's baby daddy, from what I can tell, right? right? Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Strata wants to know if she was truly a witch. If so, my sister, Katharina, would love to meet her. She's with child and the pregnancy troubles her. Surely, Tadeus, the royal physician, is better suited to see. So Tadeus is the physician, I guess? I don't know. I kind of yeah, got I lost in this. Thought, I, I, yeah, I thought Tadeus Hayek was also known as an astronomer, but he could be both. Yeah. Okay. Surely, Tadeus, the royal physician, is better suited to seeing after the birth of the emperor's trial, Matthew said, or have matters with your sister changed? Strata is like defending his sister. The emperor still treasures my sister. For that reason alone, her whim should be indulged. Okay, because, you know. Right. Yeah. Even though he's not hitting that, he's still paying yeah. the tab. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he hit it once. That's all that counts. <laughs> That's all, yeah, exactly. Lottery right. and pregnancy. It only takes one time. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Okay. So, have, uh, and here's the answer to the question. We're all right. Oh, okay. Today is Hayek is the, as a, was a Czech naturalist, personal physician of Rudolph II, and an astronomer in the kingdom of Bohemia. Ta da! Renaissance Ta-da. man. <laughs> we, all, we, we all remembered some, one part of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay, so have you seen Joris? He's been talking about nothing but you and but your altarpiece since his majesty opened it today. Is asked, changing the subject. Not yet, no. Is the emperor in? And yes, he's looking at the new painting by Master Spranger. It's very large and uh, detailed. Another picture of Venus, Strata said with a sniff. And then he says, this Venus rather looks like your sister, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this gets even better. She had six kids with Rudolph, Katerina, and her brother is Ottavio Strada. Matthew wanted to know if the emperor was in. He said, yes, he was looking at a new painting by Master Spranger. It's very large and uh, detailed. And another Spranger paints dirty pictures, yes. by the way. This Venus rather looks like your sister, sir, Hayek smiled. And then here we go. Istas Mataus Horich 
said a nasal voice from the far end of the room. Everyone turned and swept into deep bows. I curtsied automatically. It was going to be a challenge to follow this conversation. I had expected Rudolph to speak Latin, not German. <laughs> let alone bad, let alone bad German. Yeah. Und sie das Buch in die Hexe gebracht. Ich verstehe. Und die Norwegian Wolf. So that translates to the Norwegian Wolf. So are we referring to Galaglas here? Is he the Norwegian Wolf? Well, it sounds, yeah, because isn't, isn't he an oof? To, yeah, because yeah, he's, yeah. he's not a berserker. He's a new oof. Oof and oof what? Oof but, yeah, whatever. But he does, but, uh, Matthew does study Norwegian wolves in the present day or right. in the, yeah, 80s the present anyways. day. But I, I, I think he's, but I think that is a reference to Galloglass. Yeah. Gallo Gallo Glass was a wolf person rather than a bear mm-hmm. person, which gets kind of confusing considering <laughs> they liken him to a bear. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not a berserker. But he's not a berserker. I don't know. <laughs> He's that oof, whatever that word is. And then you've got Rudolph the inbred here with the Habsburg chin. Right. Can you refresh me and the listeners, Gene or Valerie, on what Deb's intention was for Rudolph speaking poor German? Because I know the readers were first upset. The German readers were like, this is poor. Why would they translate? This is all wrong. But she had a reason for it. Yeah, because he was was not proficient at speaking German, but still insisted on doing it and wanted all the court flatterers to tell him what a great job he was doing. Right. <laughs> Fancied himself a polyglot and he was bad at a number of languages. So. <laughs> he was the world's international man of mystery. Yeah. Yes. He, was, he, he was, he was, uh, yeah. Speaks all the languages, loves all the ladies. Yeah. Something like that. I don't know. And he's um, got red shoes on too. Rudolph was a small man with a disproportionate long chin and pronounced underbite the full fleshy lips of the Habsburg family exaggerated the prominence of the lower half of his face so okay I mean I saw pictures I didn't think he was an ugly man he's just odd looking Mm -hmm. weird looking and then I saw the pictures of him like as a vegetable (laughs) yes here's the other thing is too is when you talk about the Habsburg chin Mm -hmm. it's extremely unique yes underbite sticks out yeah, yeah, sticks out a little bit and, and wearing a ruff, it just accentuates it all. Probably very comical to like look, frames for, it. look at. Yeah. He's not He's not a hottie. No. <laughs> I keep thinking of that, that character on, uh, I don't know if you guys had ever seen the cartoon Real Monsters. My kids were young when that show was out. They had a teacher who was a monster. He walked around in heels and he was just like the oddest looking dude. And he'd click around the classroom. <laughs> Just almost looking like he f- was going to fall over. And this is what I picture Rudolph as. <laughs> <laughs> the, the two things about their appearances, it's it was an indicia of all the inbreeding that went on with the Habsburgs. And it was ki- it's kind of an exaggerated version of Jay Leno's chin. Like when you see a Jay Leno yeah. uh, caricature, yeah. that's what a, a Habsburg chin looks like. Hmm. But the nose is Which, also like sloping down to meet the chin just about. Yeah, it's it's a it's a not so pleasant <laughs> miasma <laughs> of genetic genetic Chinetic. <laughs> chinetic. Chinetic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> That's a new demon word, everybody. Nobility and genetic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is even better. Um, from 1516 to the 1700s, nine out of the 11 royal marriages in the Habsburgs were <laughs> incestuous. Yeah, yeah they Love were marrying first cousins left and right. Oy. 
Anyway, Matthew says, I brought my wife, your majesty, as you commanded. And he placed a slight emphasis on the word wife. And then Galaglass translated Matthew's English into flawless German, as if my husband didn't know the language, which I knew he did after traveling with him in Hamburg, uh, from Hamburg to Wittenberg to Prague by sled. Oh, okay. (laughs) Interesting. Right. So he switches to Spanish. I know a little bit of Spanish. Y su talento para los yungos también. I want to say games. Games, juegos or games. Okay. It's like, are you good at games Uh, too? Right. And your talent for the games as well. I want to yeah. say that's right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Rudolph said switching effortly into Spanish as though that might convince Matthew to converse with him directly. He studied me slowly, lingering over the curves of my body and thoroughness that made me long for a shower. Ew. Yeah. Creeper. Es una lastima que su caso en absoluto, pero on más lamentable, okay, I don't know, lamentable, que ella está casando con usted. Okay, so lastima is a shame, right? Yep, que lastima. Que lastima. Que lastima, que su... And lamentable is sad. Sad. So it's regrettable that he winds up with someone like you. Oh, I think he's thinking that vampires can't do it. Yeah, there's no... uh... Right. Very regrettable, Majesty. Matthew said sharply, sticking resolutely to English. But I assure you, we are thoroughly wed. My father insisted upon it. So did the lady. The remark only made Rudolph scrutinize me with a greater interest. And then Galloglass took mercy on me and thumped the book on the table. Das book. And that got their attention. Strata unwrapped it while Hayek and Rudolph speculated on just how wonderful this new addition to the Imperial Library might prove to be. He's all excited. And then mm-hmm. he looks at it. He's like, what joke is this? Why are you giving me back my own fucking book, dude? What the fuck? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, Matthew's like, oh, oh, you recognize it. Oh, I'm not surprised because, you know, took the other book and then you replaced it with this book. So what's up? He's like, hmm. And so Matthew's trying to be polite with it. He says, perhaps the emperor made a mistake. And then Strata's like, the emperor does not make mistakes. And he pushed the book away in disgust. I feel like everybody's being extra dramatic here. Just being extra. Very. Mm-hmm. Well, everybody's jockeying for position and you've got like kind of a crazy egomaniac that's in charge. So. Right. And a bunch of sycophants to sit yep. around. It's no different than Elizabeth's court that we just yeah. left. Yeah. Yeah. But the only difference in that is Elizabeth's smart and Rudolph's a Oh, yeah. Dummy. I'm just saying the jockeying. <laughs> oh, yeah. The jockeying's the same. She doesn't fall for it and Rudolph eats it up. Yeah. Basically. Yes. yes. Okay. He's, he's easily manipulated. She's not. She's right. the mani- definitely the manipulator every step of the way. We all make mistakes, Senior Strata Hayek said gently. I'm sure, though, that there's been some other explanation as to why this book has been returned to the Emperor. Perhaps Dr. D uncovered its secrets. And then Strata's like, it's nothing but childish pictures. Basically, they want to know why this picture book found its way into Dr. D's baggage. Did you hope he was able to understand what you could not? Matthew's kind of poking him. Yeah. And perhaps you borrowed Dee's book, Senior Strata, the one with alchemical pictures from Roger Bacon's library, and hoped that it would help you decipher this one. That's a far more pleasant prospect than imagining that you would have tricked poor Dr. D out of his treasure. Of course, his majesty could not have known of such evil business. Matthew's giving the emperor all sorts of outs here. And uh, Rudolph wants to know, and this is the book that you say I have, the only treasure of mine you'd wish to take back to England. Rudolph asks, 
asked sharply, or does your avarice extend to my laboratories? And so basically, he knows what Matthew's getting at. Oh, yeah. He he, knows what Elizabeth sent him to do. Yeah. Matthew's like, if you mean Edward Kelly, the queen needs some assurance that he's here of his own free will. Nothing more. And Matthew lied. He then took the conversation in a less trying direction. Do you like your new altarpiece, your majesty? How about that shit I brought you? You like that? Yeah. What's up? (laughs) (laughs) And Matthew had provided the emperor with just enough room to regroup and save face. The Bosch is exceptional. My uncle will be most aggrieved to learn that I have acquired it. Rudolph looked around. Alas, this room is not suitable for its display. I want to show it to the Spanish ambassador, but here you cannot get far enough away from the painting to view it properly. It is a work that you must come upon slowly, allowing the details to emerge naturally. Come see where I've put it. He enjoys art. He, You can tell he's one that really appreciates art and how you should view it. Mm-hmm. They go into this, the way she describes it, it looks like a hoarder's paradise. <laughs> Everything is under <laughs> stuff. It sounds like a the storage unit. Yes. So this must be Rudolph's famed curiosity cabinet, his room of wonders and marvels. Matthew's like, your majesty needs more space or fewer specimens. Basically saying, this shit's fucking janky. Everything's crapped in here. He comes back, he says, I will always find a place for new treasures. And then the emperor's gaze settled upon me once more. And I was kind of creeped out at this. I was like, mm-hmm. oh God, what a gross dude. So right away, we're getting the idea that this guy is kind of gross and creepy and no one you want to be around. So the sight in the corner of the room brought me up short. Matthew's altarpiece sat upon a long table covered with thick green felt. The emperor is right. You couldn't fully appreciate the colors when you stood close to the work. And then here he comes. It is beautiful, Donna Diana. Rudolph took advantage of my surprise to grasp my hand. Ew. Ew. You'll stop right here. Just gross. <laughs> Notice how you perceive the changes in each step. Only vulgar objects can be seen at once, for they have no mysteries to reveal. And then Strata looked at me with open animosity. And do you figure this is because of his sister? I think it's because he's worried that Diana's going to like dispossess his sister. Yeah. I mean, she's got the baby. She doesn't have to worry about that. Maybe he'll pay his child support. You know, she's yeah. fine. Whatever. Okay. So Hayek, Strada looked at me with open animosity. Hayek looked at me with pity. Matthew was not looking at me at all, but he was staring at the emperor. Speaking of which, Majesty, might I see Dee's book? Matthew's expression was guileless and no one in the room was fooled for an instant. The wolf was on the prowl. And then Rudolph's like, who knows where it is? Hmm. Senior Strata must be neglecting his duties if such a precious manuscript cannot be found when the emperor requires it. Rudolph says Octavio is very busy at present with matters of importance, Rudolph glared at Matthew. And I do not trust Dr. D. Your queen should be aware of his false promises. But then Matthew comes back. But you trust Kelly. Perhaps he knows its whereabouts. At this, the emperor looked distinctly uneasy. I do not want Edward disturbed. He's at a very delicate stage in the alchemical work. And then he goes on to say Prague has many charms and Diane. Anna has been commissioned to purchase some alchemical glassware for the Countess of Pembroke. We will occupy ourselves with that task until Sir Edward is able to receive visitors. Perhaps Senor Strata will be able to find your missing book by then. Rudolph is wanting to know, this Countess of Pembroke, is she the sister of the Queen's hero, Sir Philip Sidney? Matthew opened his mouth to answer and Rudolph stopped him with a raised hand. It is Donna, Diana's business. We will let her answer. And then she says, yes, your majesty. I responded in Spanish. My pronunciation was atrocious. I hope that would diminish his interest. And then Rudolph's like, 
hmm, charming. And then she's like, oh, shit, damn. Very well, then. Donna Diana will visit my workshops. I enjoy fulfilling a lady's wishes. I know. Gross, right? (laughs) (laughs) It was not clear which lady he meant. As for Kelly in the book, we shall see. We shall see. Rudolph turned back to the triptych. I will see. Be silent and hear. Isn't that the proverb he said? And that's it. That ends this chapter. What did you guys think here towards the end? Oh, he's just gross. Yeah. Yeah. They're getting themselves farther into another web. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Deb certainly painted the picture of somebody, I just every gross guy you ever had to work with or mm-hmm. be around or... Ugh. Yeah, and it was pretty much historically accurate. Yeah, he was a creeper. He was always a creeper. He was unattractive, unhealthy, and did have a predilection for redheads. Oof. Yeah. Gross. All right, guys. Anything else before we go on to housekeeping? There's a ton of Easter eggs in there. I yeah. would caution everyone to look up all the names because most of the folks in that court are real people. Yes. The artists, a lot, although Deb always made a point of inventing the paintings she talks about. They're always like missing art out of the artist catalog. You can usually find, especially with the Venus in the bath paintings, you will find stuff that is similar to what Deb intended in her story. Angela, you have anything else Mm-mm. to add? All right, on to housekeeping. This housekeeping is brought to us by Creatures Rock. Thank you, Creatures Rock. Thank you, Thank Creatures you, Rock. Me. Housekeeping. Who wants to start? Housekeeping. I'll start. I have a five-star review. Angela Liz! (laughs) And it comes from EC from DC. She says, nothing but demon love on this podcast. Here in the US, we are finishing up series one of The Discovery of Witches. I searched for like-minded individuals who would love to talk about this show. I found so much more listening to the ladies of demons discuss. In fact, this podcast made me want to read the book. I got an audio version. Now I'm listening to their podcast that started a couple of years ago. Are these ladies visionaries or what? Funny, fun, real, and one of the best TV podcasts I follow. Wow. Thank you. Oh my God. Made my day. (laughs) Um, As much as you want to call us visionaries, EC from DC, but uh, no, we're not visionaries. We've always been fans of the book. We knew the TV show was coming, but we didn't know exactly when. So at that point, we had been waiting for the TV show for five years years, right? We've had a lot of practice. <laughs> yeah. are, are we visionaries or tenacious bitches? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we had been waiting for the TV show for five years, so we weren't expecting it anytime soon. They had just switched to their new iteration from the BBC. Bad Wolf had just taken it over. It was Warner Brothers, then the BBC, and Bad mm-hmm. Wolf had just taken it over when we started this podcast. So we're like, eh, what do we got to talk about the books? And that's what we started talking about. So visionaries, not so much. We were just uh, stubborn, (laughs) bullheaded, and we're just going to talk about whatever comes our way in the universe. So uh, we appreciate that. Thank you so much for that review. It kept Angela alive. It keeps her going and we need her to keep going. (laughs) Yes, we do. Jean, what do you have for us? I have a note from Stephen, our discusser in chief. Yay, Stephen! Following my brief note, I have now received a copy of the 1948 republished book. It is a facsimile of the 1609 edition and it's Hugh Platt's Delight for Ladies. Oh. But it gets better. It does. Okay. 
I'm currently reading my copy of Delights for Ladies by Sir Q. Platt, but have yet to discover the Raleigh family method of making pastry that Deb referred to in the book. Oh, okay. Okay. Rats. Well, keep Wait, us was posted. It the, was it the Raleigh's or was it the Percy's? For making uh, pastries? Yeah. Uh, I don't remember. Keep us posted. Whatever you find, you know. Yes, Stephen. We all want to make some pastry. Yeah. <laughs> or buy some. I don't know. And maybe maybe uh, the Raleigh Conventicle will make the Raleigh pastries. Oh, there you go. Raleigh <laughs> I'm, Conventicle. I'm totally kidding. I would not be doing that. No one would catch me baking anything. But it just sounds good. Yeah, it does sound good. I mean, I'm not a baker. I'm a box girl. Oh, velvet cake. Someone wants velvet cake. I'll buy some Betty Crocker and make velvet cake. No one does it from scratch. Not Well, Robert and Devin can, but I cannot. So anyway, I have one from Linda Zip. Hi, Linda. Hello. And uh, she just sent this one to us this morning. She says, hello, Lady Demons. I think I'm going crazy because I cannot find take 50. Where did it go? And number two, why are we not discussing chapter five, which involves spymaster William Cecil? Did I miss that one also? Oh, dear. Uh, (laughs) Did I miss a lot of information somewhere along the way? I know I'm a woman of, quote unquote, a certain age. Actually, I think (laughs) I'm beyond a certain age. But what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Love y'all more than you know. Linda Z in Albuquerque. Someday I will attempt to write an intelligent commentary. I hope. PPS Cardiff. Yay. 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 Linda, you did not miss anything, my dear. Um, Take 50 was our outline on Miriam. The character Miriam. I did write you back and I sent you the link to the page. Um, If you're looking on your Apple podcast app, unfortunately, Apple did some configuring. Improving. Improving, yes, that's what we'll go with. (laughs) And when you look at your available episodes, since the TV episodes were labeled season one, automatically Apple has decided that's going to take precedence. They don't put it in chronological order anymore. If you label something season one, it sits up top. So what you need to do is scroll beyond season one on your available episodes and look down on the bottom and then you'll see an unknown season because the rest of our episodes are not labeled under a season. They're timeless. If you look under there, you'll be able to scroll down and find all of our episodes there. So hopefully that answers that question. So chapter 25, I don't believe I took discussion emails for that because it was kind of a last minute plan. Uh, By the time you wrote this email, chapter 25, is not out. It will be out next week. So if you're time walking and trying to keep pace with us, we are doing 26 and 27. But the chapter 25, you didn't miss that at all, my dear. No, I think the one that's on the air right now is chapter 24. So and those the rest of you trying to listen to this and trying to make sense of it, just, you know, it's timey wimey stuff. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yes. Well, that was my we'll theory. In the past, by the time you hear this. <laughs> yeah, that yes. was my theory on what happened to Linda. Is that she didn't no. forget? It's not an aging memory. There is another no. Linda in a parallel universe that has listened to episode fifty, and yes. she was displaced. And now that she's back, she's wondering, like Matthew, what the hell is going on? What the hell happened here? <laughs> what what went on? Uh, love you, Linda, and we'll see you and that gorgeous hair of yours in Cardiff. We're big fans of compartments. I'm surprised that our iTunes catalog isn't compartmentalized. Not just not into seasons, but into boxes. Boxes, yes. Yes. Nope. They anything that's not season one is been all shoved in one box. So it's gonna be a grab bag when you look at all. 
episode. It, it is. I mean, other than season one, it really is in chronological order. And you can yeah, expect it is. on the tens, there's going to be the character studies. Yep. Every 10. Starting from take 20, because take 10 last year or take 10 when we started was the alchemy one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then take 20 was Philippe. Take 30 was Galloglass. Take 40 was the sidekicks. And we got into all sorts of sidekicks. And take 50 was Miriam. And we already determined on the after show, take 60 is going to be Baldwin. And Valerie so, picked it. And I picked it. I'm not going to let you forget that. <laughs> can uh, can we do the 60 in Roman numerals? Sure. We'll make sure that happens. <laughs> Definitely make sure that happens. Okay. Um, That's it for housekeeping anyway. Are you guys ready for Save It for the show? <sighs> yeah. Yes. Let's do it. Okay. You know, yeah. <laughs> you didn't have to say it like that, Jane. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yes, uh, I'll say it like that too. Yes, because this is not a new subject. Okay, no. so save it for the show is brought to us by Deborah Taylor. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you, Thank you Deborah. Save it for the show. Save it for the show. Guys, save it for the show. Topic for this time, save it for the show. It is our annual refresher training on empathy. Yep. So take it, Gene. Year three. Let's do this. Year three. <laughs> we're, we're back to this again. And okay. it's, it's pretty much um, in preparation for season two of the show. We've touched on the topic as it relates to Shadow of Night earlier in our episode reviews, but now seems to be a really good time to bring it up again because with the anticipation of filming for season two, the drumbeat on the kit hate is getting louder and louder yeah. <laughs> and judgier and judgier. Yeah. I jumped in this to the fray this time only because it was a knee jerk reaction. I saw it's like, is it only me or do you get annoyed by kit? I can't stand him or something like that. I don't know. And, and I hate the whole, is it only me? It's not only you. It, it, it's a shit stirring way to bring up a topic. Right. So am I the only one. Change my mind. You are not the only one. Kid is not designed for your affection or appreciation. Kid is no. designed to poke at you in a way. And make you think. And make you think. And Diana is obviously not going to be a big fan of Kit. And you're seeing things from Diana's point of view. I am not a big fan of Kit. However, I do see that he does things a certain way because of his background, because of what's going on. And I am not sure I am above Kit and no one can be sure they're above Kit placed in a certain circumstance. Well, and this is why we're bringing up empathy. Empathy yes. is not sympathy. Empathy is putting yourself in that person's shoes and that and set of circumstances. And it's not just picking and choosing the set of circumstances and just certain portions. I hate to say certain portions of the shoes, but you step into their shoes. You don't get to stand near their shoes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the problem being with Kit is that everybody just wants to see him as a snarky, put together, ungracious jackass. And oh, he, he, he is. He acts like it. He definitely does he, act like and it. And he, he does. Yeah. But I mean, this is what you've got. You've got the child of a tradesman. His, his father was a cobbler, I believe. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't noble born. He doesn't come from money. He happened to be extremely talented. He's a closeted gay man in a country where it is a death Found penalty. Upon, to yeah, say it's least. kind of a death penalty thing. Yeah. Up until 
the early 60s, and I mean 1960s. He's hopelessly in love with a straight man who is freaking oblivious, more or less, but still goes out and parties with him with the whores. Which... Here's the thing. Matthew, oh, I wouldn't call him oblivious. I would call him... Um... I call him oblivious because it's like he, he doesn't want to deal with it. It's, it's like, yeah, he's whatever. willfully oblivious. How's yes. that? He's, he's yeah. willfully oblivious. Yes. yes. He does not want to deal with that, so he just doesn't. Mm-hmm. He's a demon. He's a drug addict. Uh, he's probably self-medicating for bipolar disorder. Uh, or something is, similar. Yeah, financially dependent. Well, I say fi- probably bipolar disorder because he swings from upset and depressive to like flying off the handle. Yes, yes. He's helplessly in love with Matthew, who encourages it in probably the most reckless way possible. Yes, his the love of his life goes to pick up some messages from Deptford and comes back with a wife out of nowhere. It's like you're cheating on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a ba- very potent, very bad mix. And I have to think his I, and I think I ended up equating his situation to it's like getting blindsided with divorce papers. Everything's going along just fine. It's like, uh, here. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I'm going to be a nice guy and let you still hang around or and, you know, you can still live in the house. But, you know, I'm bringing my girlfriend in. Right. I mean, that's the kind of volatile situation that they created here. And Matthew, the prior Matthew, before he came back with Matthew with Diana, he had nothing to lose by indulging Kit mm-hmm. at the time. He didn't have a wife then. So it's like, sure. Okay, here's a, here's a scenario. You know your friend is crushing on you, right? But he's a good friend to hang around. He's fun. He's they, fun. Go He'll go out and party. He'll, are you, are yeah. you going to pay attention to the fact that he's crushing on you? Or are you just yeah. going to hang out and pretend it's not even there? To, but to be frank, I'm sure there's a lot of female listeners out there who probably are guilty of the fact that, yeah, I knew he was crushing on me and sure. let me buy, you know, go out with him, let him buy me drinks and everything else. But, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No real intention of taking it beyond there. Now, granted, they didn't turn psychotic, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> those are the kind of situations that sometimes get sideways. And this I is mean, that on a bigger scale. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say no. And I like this person as long as I don't bring no, it up. It's, it's, it's you and your picnic lunch. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah, I totally. I could totally relate to that. <laughs> And while you didn't get psychotic, I'm sure you were kind of like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't even have to be involved in buying things or indulging. It just, I like you as a friend and I like hanging out with you. So I'm going to hang out with you. And I'm not going to end that. So don't you bring up your feelings right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Right. I like how things are. I like how we hang out. Don't bring up your feelings and we'll, I mean, we'll still get kinda, to hang out. Kit is kind of like the other side of the coin from Gallowglass. Yeah. And the here's the thing. And Kit, as long as he gets to get, hang out with his love, that's all he's going to hope for. It's a good understanding between two people. You bring Diana in the mix, all of that is threatened. Matthew oh, yeah. supports him financially. Feeds him. Yeah. Pays his tailor bills. Yeah. Pays his tailor bills. His rent. <laughs> I'm sure her occasionally a wine bill yeah i mean yeah. and add, add to that it's not so much different okay kit loves matthew romantically but look at when you used to hang out with your best girlfriends and you used to run and go out to bars or do whatever you did and then all of a sudden they find a boyfriend you're like what you're leaving me it's not what? anything it's not anything romantic you don't love that person yeah. romantically but right what? you're you're yeah getting rid of me no 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 they're adding a friend in a different way but you're not you can't your little immature little brain can't wrap your uh yeah. the idea yeah so honestly the, the idea that so many people are like, well, I would never act like him. I guarantee at some point in time in your life in a similar situation, you probably did. We all yes. did. Yes. We all did. We all did. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. No and one out there it. is perfect. And the people that get, okay, I hate saying this, but I'm looking at you people that get upset. The people that get the most upset are the ones that recognize themselves the most. <laughs> yeah. Usually, and you don't realize it, Sarah Bishop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am not so sure if I had a Louisa whispering in my ear and the love of my life, his object of affection was right in my face and I'm high on opiates and I just need to get rid of this person and I have convinced myself that once this person is gone, my yeah. life will go back to normal. Yeah. It's, 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 I'm not convinced. I'm so far removed from that. Yeah. Lizard brain again. Yeah, Lizard no. brain. And, oh, yeah. and Matthew's oh, own yeah, sister yeah. Of, of someone of status is endorsing my behavior. Yeah. yeah. So it's okay, right? It's cool. We talk ourselves into all kinds of stuff, guys. So stupid stuff. Stupid shit. Reckless stuff and harmful stuff. Hopefully you have a group of people around you that can pull you back, talk you down from the tree, do something so you don't wind up A, in jail, (laughs) B, killing somebody, uh, C, hurting yourself. I mean, how often do you read? And I mean, I actually went through this, a separation or a divorce where the spouse comes back and kills everybody. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because they did not have somebody who could pull them back from the ledge. We had an attorney that it happened with, like right after the divorce was final, went over for the first visitation of the baby, mm-hmm. claimed his ex-wife attacked him, mm. although he shot her eight times and four of them were in the back. So, okay. you know, th- this is a guy that outweighed her by a hundred pounds. Oy. So, yeah, it happens. it happens. It happens. Because you don't have, and in that case, nobody really knew that they needed to pull this person back from the edge. She's in prison for life now, but yeah, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And I have a feeling, I hope they treat Kit like they did Satu. Yes. In, yep. in the TV show, because it allows you to see. You can only imagine it when you're reading the book. You can only imagine it from Diana's point of view. And all they see is him making flippant comments and just being being the bitchy queen. Yeah. And when I read it as Diana, I get pissed. I want to send him outside every single fucking time. You can ask these two. I'm like, yeah. I just want to smack him. And that's what I'm supposed to feel yeah, when I'm reading right, this. Right. Uh, so I'm supposed I mean, to feel this. And I'll be a little bit different. I mean, early on, I'm a little bit different. I mean, I let, some of the stuff he says is damn funny. And I, I roll my so. eyes. <laughs> Mostly because it's like... I had that gay friend who was like that. It's like, they are amusing as fuck to be around as long as that laser bitter wit is not aimed at you. Yeah. yeah. Right. As right. long as you are not the object of their focus, it is fun. And to be clear, that's any person. As long yeah. as if you have a snarky, biting personality like that, they're fun to be around. But let, let me tell you, you don't oh, want yeah. to be the object. And do you notice women do that a lot, too? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So it's it's that thing. Anyway, uh, anything to add to this empathy conversation, get this some. refresher? We all need to get some. We, we need all to get can some. use more. And unfortunately, with the modern things that are going on. We don't. It's getting so polarized. It's hard. It's yeah. getting harder and harder. It's don't. Don't make it about you when you read these things. This is more of an exercise suggestion because when you read fiction, it's supposed to make you more empathetic. So these are exercises we're suggesting when you read something that pisses you off. Maybe it Examine why it pisses you off mm-hmm. and see what that root is coming from. See where that's pulling you. Basically, I'm asking you to say, who hurt you? <laughs> well, <laughs> at the end of the day. At the so, end of the day, who hurt you? And, yeah. base, and based on the type of reaction that Kitten genders, which is like, oh, well, he's just so one, two, three, and four. I would never do that. 
yeah, you would. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when responses, I would never, it's like, no, you need to like back up the bus and really examine it because you probably would do something like that. I mean, because Not this to is the extreme. This is the driving past the boy's house six times a day on your bike mm-hmm. gone utterly bad. Or if you didn't do it or don't think you would do it, you would think about it, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You'd think about it. You'd oh, have yeah. fantasies. Oh, the fantasies about putting, <laughs> up, putting the nair and the new, the new girlfriend's shampoo and right. everything you've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. Kid just happen to go a little more single white female than most. Or I'm about to encounter my ex-boyfriend. Guess what? I'm going to look hotter than his new girlfriend. I am going to show up with this fabulous man on my arm. Which and- is a whole subgenre of rent a date for a wedding. There you go. <laughs> It's a, it's, a, it's a romantic trope. Okay. So I guess our bottom line is examine yourself. This is an exercise and we suggest you do it. Examine yourself. Find out why you feel the way you do and see if you could place yourself in that person's shoes and see, maybe look at the things you've done in your past that could compare. I mean, maybe not to the extreme, but if you were on opiates and you had Louisa in your ear, maybe they'd go that far. So yeah, that's it. That's all I have. Anybody else? I think you covered it. Yep. Okay. So <laughs> our training session for this year is complete. We'll see you again next year. What's the certificates will be in your email? Yes. <laughs> Print them out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So stick around after this. We'll do last thoughts and things we cannot let go of. Find this show wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Contact us. We are at demonsdiscuss at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail, 360-519-7836. Or leave us one on SpeakPipe, speakpipe.com slant demonsdiscuss. Hit us up on social media, and we are at demonsdiscuss or at demonsdomain. Join our Facebook group, Demonic Discussers. The keys to get in are in the show notes. And if you're listening on your mobile device, click the description. It'll be there too. Become a discusser. And there are two ways to do that now. And if you're in the U.S., text ADOW as an ADAL, as in a discovery of witches. So text ADOW to 444-999 or visit demonsdiscuss.com. Scroll down, fill out the form and spammer code, and that's it, your discusser. Visit our main site, demonsdomain.com, to see what we're up to. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Keep Angela alive! Jane, you want to start? Yeah. My last thought is the the Times Convert read-along is going very well. It's a far, di- it's a lot different than what our read-alongs have been like in the past. It's a lot more fun and games more so than, I mean, we, we, we've done some digging, but the conversations are a lot easier to participate in, even if you've, you're, you're just reading along for the first time and people are making a far more concerted effort to have posts that will include folks who may be following along, but haven't even read Times Convert yet because they'll solicit personal experiences and, and try to draw parallels between your life and the characters' lives and things like that. So it's it's a different approach, but it's been a lot of fun so far. And you can find that read-along at the All Souls Discussion Group. A link will be in the show notes, everybody. Mm-hmm. I'm actually doing a chapter. Go figure. Oh, my God. <laughs> dude, dude, I've already you know, I got sucked into five. You didn't get sucked into it. You went for it. Renee sucked me into it. Trust me. Oh, I don't think She's she like, had to pull too hard, help sweetie. Me. 
<laughs> Renee just said, help me. And you're like, I'm on it. <laughs> Jean, that's her wheelhouse. That's where she does well. I'm telling you, she's uh, and she has so much knowledge. I can't compare to it. So that's why I'm going to be like, hey, guys. So here's some pictures. Want to comment? on? <laughs> <laughs> that's just how it is. Angela, any last thoughts? Um, finale for a Discovery of Witches TV show on AMC and BBC a Sunday. And I was just thinking, because this last episode was so good, episode seven, and we talked about that scene. I just listened to our episode on it. So that's why it's fresh in my memory also. How it, was it? It was good. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it was good. Yeah, okay. it was good. Um, but we were talking about Sarah and how she felt betrayed by Rebecca not telling her. And then it made me think of our other favorite ginger, Baldwin. And he's the flip side of be, feeling betrayed and not having Philippe tell him or get leave the brotherhood to him. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. Our, our two our two gingers with the sense and of betrayal. And he still hasn't gotten opportunity for any kind of resolution with it either. No. And I would wish, I would hope someday we, we'd see something of the sort. Yeah. Maybe he will finally get the chance to see Philippe's ghost. Yeah. Just because this view opened our eyes to Sarah and what she was going through. As And you had mentioned, Val, that it was, we didn't get to see it in the books because it was Diana's point of view. So we didn't see her crying behind the scenes. We didn't see her feeling betrayed. So I hope not necessarily in the TV show, but in some other way we get to see Baldwin's side of it. Yeah, that would be good. One thing about good about the TV show is they really took care in explaining some of the characters we do not get a full understanding of. Like Agatha. I didn't have a full understanding of no. this woman. And I see her in the TV show and oh, I love her. <laughs> I love her. Yes. I think she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Baldwin. I mean, I always knew this because I had Jean and Angela whispering in my ear, it's because of this. I mean, because they were reading a lot more deeply into Baldwin. Baldwin didn't strike my fancy. I was just like, eh, he's his brother, you know, a pain in the ass, whatever. But (laughs) they opened my eyes and said, you know, but there's this and then there's this and he's pretty much the same as his father. And you have to kind of look at that and say, huh, I wonder. I wonder what what Baldwin's deal is. So that'll be cool. I think so. Hmm. I guess that's my last thought, huh? (laughs) You can have another one. (laughs) Your own. (laughs) My own. Okay. so here's my last thought. Uh, Purple Notebook, guys. I am going to put the link to the survey in the show notes because I want a wider participation. I want to see what you guys think is in Deb's Purple Notebook. That's going to widen up the pool a little bit. But um, (laughs) yeah, it'd be interesting. I'd like to see the guesses. So far, we've gotten a lot of Philippe, some Miriam, Galaglass, a lot of, with the disclaimer, I hope, Galaglass, I hope, but I don't think it's Galaglass. Galaglass uh, is teal. <laughs> yeah. And um, Galaglass has a notebook. He has a notebook, but I'm sure a lot of the people that participated didn't know that. I don't um, we'll see. My guess was Baldwin, but y- you said, Jane, that it's probably not Baldwin, right? Yeah, I think I, I only said that because when Deb was writing and she was writing a lot of Baldwin stuff and, and I got all excited and she said, slowly roll, it's not his book. Right. <laughs> so it's like, OK. And uh, All Souls Con, if there's any tickets left... 15 or so. I 15 think. or so, you know. At the time of this recording, so this recording is not going to be out for a, a little bit. Uh, if there's a disclaimer in early in the episode saying, hey, I was just kidding. There's really no tickets. Then ignore this part. But All Souls Con, if you are interested in going, it's in Cardiff, Wales this year. If you want to have a little vacation, if you live outside of the UK, inside of the UK, it's in your backyard. Even though some of you say it's a little far. Come on, you can make the trip, guys. Seriously. All of UK is 
not that big, but it's easy for me to say because I'm in the U.S., which is huge compared to the U.K. So anyway, that's that. Soulscon.org slant tickets. If you do get tickets and you are going to stay overnight, get your lodging ASAP as well, because that's oh, going yeah. fast. That's quickly. Yes. Even look at uh, Airbnbs. If you've never done that before, consider it. So far, so good. I mean, I've I've heard good things. I've never stayed at one. Have either of you? Uh, I did in Napa. Uh, you did in Napa and that was yeah. a good experience. Yeah, it was very good. Good. It's very good. Jean, you? No. I've got no. a friend who's done it a lot and she's done it a lot in Europe. She's the one who convinced me that it's like, God, maybe we should try this because she always manages to find these places that are like stunning. Right. So, yeah. My first foray with the Airbnb will be with you two. So we'll see oh, how that, that makes goes. two of us. We'll report back and tell you how it works. If we ever yeah. go back to New Orleans together, we're going to do an Airbnb and we're going to look for the one that specifically said, I don't know, I don't even know if that was an Airbnb, but there was a, remember there was an apartment for sale and it said haunted. Oh yeah, we want a haunted <laughs> one. Yes, the yeah. we've got the, I've got the picture somewhere yeah. of the, the sign and it actually has its own, they actually have permanent little add-on signs that you would, you know, maybe you would have the realtor's name that you clip on the bottom and it was actually <laughs> one for haunted. Yeah. Only in New Orleans. So, they have that. so that's the one we're going to search out. And you know, audience, Angela attracts them like honey <laughs> and bees. I'm telling you. <laughs> so we will have to report back if that ever happens. And it could Sorry. happen in Cardiff too. You don't know. I know. You I, it don't might not know. be in our Airbnb, but I'm sure walking around, we might encounter some things. I don't know. They might have taken this development because it looked relatively new and put it on an old graveyard yeah. or something. You don't know. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> It's not necessarily the structure. It's the land beneath. Oh, God. Maybe well, I jinxed us. We won't us. even talk to you. Oh, and I am going back to that haunted hotel. I people. cannot wait. That's awesome. Oh, the one in Denver. Yes. 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 You'll have to express that in uh, our after show. Tell us what that was all about. I think you already told us in yeah. the last ap- after show. Yeah, but if we you... were talking about it at the last uh, after show. <laughs> right. And if you guys are interested in the after show, remember patreon.com slant demons discuss. Uh, two bucks is all you need to listen to after show two bucks a month that's cheap dude try it if not you can always undo it you don't have to follow us that whole time but try it out i'm sure you'll like it so uh, that's it i think we're gonna say goodbye now bye everybody bye everyone that was a demon kiss from gene that was awesome we'll talk to you in a fortnight bye